Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Very good morning to you and welcome along. Favourite time of the week. Your calls in a matter of moments. one 736 736 So much we need to get through this morning. GWS star, and he is a star. Tim Taranto is going to join us as the Giants move in to the top eight on the back of a comeback win against the Carlton Footy Club last night. First serves Brett Phillips. Johnny Millman, as you just heard, with Gibbsy in the news. He's out so the demon, Alex Demonor, is carrying the can for the Aussies at the moment. Billy Reinhart from SB Nation. The Nets have appointed a former uh, NBA MVP, in fact, a two-time to coach them, Steve Nash. We'll get the latest on that and also the playoffs game currently in action. Game three between Toronto and Boston. Scores locked at 14 apiece, six minutes to go in the first quarter. We're going to speak to the AFL Games record holder, Boomer Harvey, and the Gabba manager, Michael Zudans, on the grand final. So um, we'll get his thoughts on all of that and the preparations ramping up for the big game at the Gabba. Your calls, as I said. Carlton fans, I'm interested to talk to you this morning because any time I say anything negative about the Carlton Footy Club, you go into absolute meltdown. I want your thoughts. I want your emotions. I want your um, debates this morning on just another failed season at that footy club as the Blues sit 12th with six wins and eight losses this year. But it's another club that I want to start the show with, so let's get into it with this. They deserve their victory. Um, so it's it's not shock. It's it's just frustrating because um, we're working incredibly hard as a footy club, and there's there's periods in this season that we've seen that um, progression. And there's periods where we just regress, and it can only be a quarter or a half. But you pay the price, so we've got to mature. We are working incredibly hard. I I honestly think that is the fifteenth time I've heard those exact words out of the mouth of Simon Goodwin in the last two seasons. So once again, Melbourne season is in jeopardy after that shock loss to Sydney. A young rebuilding bottom four side who were missing three out of its best six players, Franklin Heaney and Mills, didn't play. So just when you thought Melbourne would cruise into the finals on the back of a soft draw to finish the season, they served that up. They are the most inconsistent team in the competition, which is really alarming for that man, Simon Goodwin. Serious questions remain over Goodwin, and they are unanswered. The D's are 12 wins and 24 losses since the prelim final in 2018. And it's fair to argue that the stunning 2018 season had little to do with Goodwin and more about the structure and legacy Paul Roos had set up over the previous three years. A significant review at the end of last year In short, uh, happened, I should have said, or took place after that season. The footy department was stocked with high-profile recruits, including expensive high-performance manager Darren Burgess and former Saints coach Alan Richardson in the role of coaching director. Mature-age recruits Ed Langdon and former Giants utility Adam Tomlinson joined the club on a four-year deal. The squad is stacked with players in their prime. Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver are all top 20 players in the league and they don't have the injury excuses that most other teams do with only Michael Hibbert and Luke Jackson sidelined 
out of their first choice players. Despite all of this, all of the over-the-top preseason hype, which included countless double-page spreads in the paper and a five-part documentary series titled To Hell and Back, Melbourne are ninth on the ladder with seven wins on the back of a loss to a bottom four side yesterday in which they could only manage six goals. And if it wasn't for Stephen May last week, the minus 16 inside 50 count would have resulted in another loss to the Saints. They averaged 63 points for the season. So back to Goody and those unanswered questions. He hasn't been able to garner any consistency and maximise the undeniable talent on the list. The skill level at times remains deplorable and has been for nearly two seasons. Despite admitting repeatedly that he knows what the problem is, he's been unable to fix it. Sam Wiedemann is the leading goal scorer with just 17, and even he couldn't manage to get a game earlier on in the season. Christian Petrarca led this category with only 22 last year. Imagine the frustration of playing as a forward in this side. And what about selection? The midfield is clearly unbalanced. As much as Nathan Jones is an absolute warrior and one of the most respected players to ever pull on a Melbourne jumper, he looked done halfway through last year, yet he continues to earn selection. He just doesn't gel, as we've spoken about on this show before, with Viney, Brayshaw and Oliver. They're all too similar. They get shown up on the spread if they don't win first position possession. Yesterday, Oscar McDonald played as a key forward in the second half. McDonald's kicked one career goal. One. Now he's hardly going to put the fear into the life of any opposition player or coach. These examples point to those unanswered questions hovering over Goodwin. Now, fortunately for him, he has two seasons beyond this remaining on his contract. I doubt whether the club would extend his deal if he was out of contract this season. These fans, it's not the first time we've discussed the ever-disappointing Melbourne Footy Club on this show, but I'll give you the platform to do it again. I want your thoughts. Join in the conversation this morning, one 736 736 or send me a text on 433 Ah, oh, let's get into it. Sydney were awesome as Mark wants to give us his thoughts on them very, very shortly. one 736 And I want to play you some more audio shortly after we take a few of your calls on the response to the loss from Max Gorn last night as opposed to the response from Stephen May earlier on in the year when they lost to Port Adelaide. But let's kick it off with Mark. You're a Swan supporter, mate. Congratulations on the win last night. Yeah, thanks, Kane. I just get a bit disappointed that every time that the Swans win, um, the talk seems to be about the other team that they've played, mm. and they've played. Five, they've had five wins, and every time they win, it's Hawthorne are in crisis, GWS are in crisis, Melbourne are in crisis, Adelaide are in crisis. I mean, when do the Swans get some credit, and when did when do we hear some conversation about their young players coming up and being hungry? like Rowbottom, who's had a sensational year. McCartan last night went into the fence, and I thought he did a really, really good job. It, it doesn't get mentioned. Um, I, I take your point. I think it comes back to expectation. So, you know, we don't expect a lot from Sydney, but I think they're getting their right dues. Like even, um, I saw a, a tweet from Kingy, who was spot on last night, David King, the Swans are going to be a force in 50 to 60 more games of football, rebuilt before our eyes and maintain competitiveness. That is the model. I think John Longmire has been sort of lauded for the way that he's been able to rebuild the squad 
and the challenges that he's faced with a lot of key players out and some of their biggest stars to remain competitive and do what they've done. So I, I disagree a little bit, but I can understand that you know, all the talk is going to be about Carlton today and when the Giants lose, it's about the Giants. But I think that comes back to expectations. We expect Melbourne to be a good side. They expect it. Otherwise, they don't trade and they don't um, welcome the additions that they've welcomed in without thinking that. And that's why um, it's a reasonable, it's a bit of a shock when, when they perform like they did last night. Appreciate your thoughts though, Mark. Let's go to Dino in Elwood. Hello to you, Dino. You're a, you're a Carlton fan. How are you feeling this morning? Can I unload, Kane? Can you let me go? Well, this is your platform. This is what the show is designed for. So off you go. Oh, look, mate, it's another, you know, we're in stage four lockdown. Two, two really hard to take win losses in, in, a, in the space of a week. I mean, I think we've done it again. Petrescu, Seaton and Paddy Dow, two picks inside the top six. You can blow one, you can't blow two. We're desperate for another midfielder. Um, you know, game plan, sometimes who we played last night. I don't know why Cunningham and Kennedy don't get a game. Um, our kicking for goal is diabolical. I love Harry. But can you answer me the Mitch McGovern quandary, Kane? I mean, uh, I, I get the giggle with your opposition. He's sitting there having a little laugh with Heath Shaw. The man can't get himself fit. The man's on a huge amount of money. I don't know what he earns per possession, um, he's given us nothing, Kane. Nothing for two or three years. I, I'm baffled by that decision to bring him in. You know, I'd be paying Zach Williams that sort of money, but not Mitch McGovern in that role. I think there's two players I'd be, if I was a Carlton fan, I'd be really frustrated. I think that's the right word. Maybe a bit more than frustrated. Maybe upset is the right word. And one of them is McGovern. I mean, the man has undeniable talent. And he's not asked to play a key forward role. He's asked to play a floating forward role. And... He doesn't impact enough. You can't be playing AFL footy on six hundred, seven hundred thousand, and touching the ball six times per game. You just can't accept that. So he's one, and the other one is Kerno. I mean, no one's spoken about Kerno. So McGovern eight possessions last night, um, no score. The other one's Kerno. If, if I was a Carlton fan, and you know, I got smashed a little bit for my comments on him and his professionalism off the court and getting injured playing basketball, and then the mishaps he's had since. This guy's getting eight hundred thousand bucks a year and he's sitting in the stands, you think they couldn't do with him right now? So I just wonder the Carlton fans that had a crack at me and, and even you know Travis Boak had a crack because I mentioned that you shouldn't be playing basketball in the off-season or in the season when you're an AFL footy player. I'd be really frustrated with those two. Blues fans, let us know your thoughts, as Blackie has done in plenty. Your thoughts on the Carlton Footy Club, mate? G'day, Kane. How are you? Good, thanks. My, my, my thing is... Re, and I'd, I'd love someone ask David Teague in, in his whole tenure, and this goes back to when he took over last year. That to me, they keep repeat, it's Groundhog Groundhog Day. Mm. They keep repeating the same well, the, the, the same issues. Number one, their ball use, their kicking is atrocious. There are blokes in that side that just don't have the composure to hit a target on a consistent basis. That hasn't changed. The the mental fragility uh, that the side's got now, people were talking about this year where they concede chunks of goals in games. It's exactly what happened last year, Kane. Now, I'm going to give you something. They had six months off. They came back and played in, in round one. They were nine goals in a quarter and a half down to Richmond. And, and Liam Jones should have kicked a goal with a minute to go to get them back to nine points. They then have three months off because of COVID. They play Melbourne in a quarter and a half. They're six goals down. Late in the last quarter, they, they hit the front. 
They get to play St Kilda after winning the next two games, getting the season back on track. Big game, Thursday night. Don't don't rock up, six goals down. Come back, come right back into the game again, into the, into the second half. They haven't sorted that mental side um, uh, out. So, you know, they're letting themselves down in games because, uh, A, they're not able to capitalise on the scoreboard when they're in front. And let's face it, Kane, um, last night the game should have been over at three-quarter time if they could use the footy and hit, hit, hit targets. The same thing against Collingwood. Now, you talk about Mitch McGovern, right? If you have a look at when Carlton play well in parts of a game, Mitch McGovern is always involved. And, and when he's not involved, um, they look terrible. And, and he's, I think, a synonymous of what's going on with their disposal in the forward line because when under pressure, they bomb it long. Now, Mitch's role is to be the hit-up forward. Play out of those three tools, the furthest up into the forward line, a hit-up. Now... They're not, they're not lowering their eyes when under the pump. They're just banging it to Levi and to Harry because they're big, tall targets. And so Mitch McGovern, in in that situation, he's he's why playing? Because yeah, if they're, if they're not... a lot of people, a lot of people wanting to line up and have their say. Blackie, appreciate your thoughts. Let's go to Tom on the Blues. Also, Tom, what's your thoughts? Yeah, Kane, how are you, mate? Good, thanks. With with the um, look, everyone sort of hit this thing on the head. That's no, you know, that's that's pretty obvious. Everyone's going deficiency, but this time last year, if you said to me that we'll play in the third last game of the year for a spot in the eight, I would probably take that. And the thing I know that, that the negative is we're getting rolled, mm. but the positive is we're not getting rolled by much. And the thing, and there's there's things to work at. You know, I, I sat, sat there last night, watched it. I watched Mitch McGovern go one handed in the back half. And I saw Docker get caught out. He was on the centre when I, uh, they they got a goal late. Uh, Western Sydney got a goal late. Docker got caught sitting sitting in the centre. Cleared his head, had to run in. Where he's a swing man, he should have been sitting on that centre back line on his own. His plays down in the, in our forward fifty or across the centre line. Those little things they work on. Those things get changed, and it changes the whole dynamics of the game. It's good to bag them all. It's easy thing to bag people when they're down. But like yep. I said, if, if we're fighting for a spot in the eight with three games to go, I would take that. Good on you, Tom. And uh, I would put that back onto the Carlton fans. Are your glass half empty or are your glass half full like Tom? So seven wins last year in 2019. Of course, um, there was more games. Six wins this year with still some really winnable games to come, including one against Adelaide. So is it, it is an improvement. If I'm glass half full at Carlton... They have a crack for basically the the whole game. I mean, there's there's areas where where no team goes full on for the whole um, the whole period, but they are definitely having a crack. There is an attitude, or there is a fragility. I think is probably the word where when the game is there to be won, and I think it's a bit of lack of leadership as well. They're not willing to really put their foot on the throat and go. And even at three-quarter time, when you've got that lead, you could really sense the Giants were going to come back. They kick the first two of the third quarter and you think, oh, same old Carlton again. And that must filter through the playing group. That's why I hate the rebuild. I hate the 20-year rebuild because it indoctrinates a losing culture into a side. And that's really hard to break. And right now, Carlton have a losing culture that they are unable to break when they should be much better. So there's definitely some positives, Tom, and I take your point. But Blues fans, 
Glass half full, glass half empty on this Friday morning, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Let's shift back to Melbourne with Kevin. Kev, your take on the Demons. Oh, good morning, Kane. Um, there's very few traditions left in uh, Australian rules football, but one of the great traditions, as I see, is that Melbourne have always been rubbish. They've been, they haven't won a flag since, what, 12 weeks after the Beatles played at Festival Hall. And they're just there for the rest of us to just to laugh at and just an object of derision and parody, the whole club. And like even when you're in traffic lots and you see someone with like Melbourne stickers on their cars, you sort of take a double take and sort of look and think, wow. I mean, they're just, they're just a Protestant joke, aren't they? I mean, let's get back to the old section. Who do you support, of, Kev? Who's your team? Well, my club gives we throw them a bone every every Queen's birthday, and uh, so that's how they survive. <laughs> this is the, this, what they should never have done all those years ago when they sacked Paul McNamee. I mean, his idea, which is better than any idea anyone's ever had at Melbourne, was to get Jonathan Brown, and uh, he was too big for the uh, club president back then, Jim Steins, and so they sacked Paul McNamee. I mean, Paul McNamee did not need the job, but uh, we're going over old ground. Okay, mate, appreciate you rubbing the dirt in to the Melbourne supporters this morning from a Collingwood fan. Uh, let's sneak in Nathan, uh, the Blues. Nath, your thoughts? Glass half full, glass half empty. Which is it? Okay, how are you, mate? Good, thanks. Um, I just thought, I just think the selection is really poor. Like, I know Kennedy didn't play last night, and I think when he plays, he helps Cripps immensely. And just Cunningham didn't play as well, where he's that run that we have up half forward, and he kicks goals. And then just Lockie Plowman every week. Like, I, I just think every single week, I look at him and he just does things that I think an AFL footballer should do. Yet he keeps getting selected every single week. And he was out of the side this week due to injury, which is out of his control. But I don't know how that happens. And then just another thing, I'll be watching Footy Classified on Monday night. Mm-hmm. I want you to put to Murphy Lloyd that maybe he could go help Harry Mackay kick goals. Because if he kicked yeah. goals last night, we win. Yeah, thought, didn't he? Didn't he miss some last night? I mean, the inaccuracy from both sides. And I did see a stat, it might have been from Josh Kay from one of the statisticians from Channel 7 about Carlton's inaccuracy in second halves this year. It is frightening. Still the most underrated thing in football is being able to kick straight. I mean, the big goal that Riccardi kicked last night, I mean, wasn't that a turning point in the game? Young kid, game number three, contested mark, outside 50 goes bang, did not look like missing. And the lift that that gives your side, whereas uh, McKay had you know, three or four opportunities, I reckon, from similar spots and didn't look like scoring. I did like the fact that he kept having a crack. I thought that was admirable. But, yeah, certainly I thought it cost both teams inaccuracy last night. We'll get to Cal and Dave, Jason, Jono and another Dave. Carlton and the Melbourne Footy Club dominating the agenda. What do you do with Paddy Cripps? He looks, he looks tired to me. Um, he looks really tired. And I mentioned on Monday that I'm uh, not sure their management of him has been the best by him, Paddy Cripps. We'll get your thoughts on that also. Get involved, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Before we get to your calls, I'll just read the statement on Twitter from the Victorian government. So the 4th of September, there were 80 new, 81 new cases and sadly 59 deaths. This includes 50 people in aged care who passed away in July through to August. The state and federal governments and aged care sector work together to reconcile data and update Victorian reporting related to deaths. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. More from Meredith Gibbs in the news very very shortly. Cal is on the line. He wants to speak about Melbourne. Kane, 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 Kane. You're gonna to have to hear me out of here, brother. Please. I got a couple of points in my D's. Yeah. Yep. Point one. The midfield. 
the driving force of a footy club, okay, which we have top-line players in there, no, no, no denying that, okay? We know who they are. However, they are immature. They're kids. This is their the, problem. They're the worried about the their kids. Instagram and their... Absolutely, they are. No, as, in, as in the maturity. Right. Yes, they might be 23 and 24, and they're coming into their prime. However, they are kids. They act like absolute kids. They worry about their TikTok, their Instagram, mm. and play FIFA all day. Mm. And it's, it's, it's about the culture. These guys are meant to be the driving force of our football club. You look at the great clubs over the years in their midfield, the, the, the Geelongs, the West Coast. They don't worry about that nonsense. But our guys, look what they're worried about and carrying on about. Another thing, when the going gets tough for Melbourne, we get packing. We've got a great captain in Max, Max Gorn. He's a great player. We all know that. He's great for the club. He's, he's a great face of the club. However, we are constantly, if you have a look at the history, Port Adelaide's done it. A few other teams have done it. They target Max Gorn. He's 208 centimetres. And the guy just puts his head down and goes from contest to contest. No one backs him up. He doesn't give anything back. And this is, mm. this is some of the issues. I mean, I've only pointed out two, Kane. That's no, good. No, I, I, Cow, I, I love the left field thinking, uh, and nothing you're saying, um, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. It, it all makes, it all makes sense. And I, I watch Max Gorn get picked off by an Adelaide side who were last on the ladder, and I watched it from behind the goals, and not one Melbourne player supported their captain, not one. And he was picked off with a sore shoulder, and he didn't play the next week because of the treatment that he got from the Crows, and no one stood up for him. So maybe that maybe they do care about Instagram and TikTok, and maybe they're only worried about themselves, and maybe there isn't that full-blown team approach that takes to be a very, very good uh, AFL side. But we'll get more of that. Dave wants to speak about Carlton. Jason on the Ds. Jono's in St Kilda. Another Dave. And Billy is on the line as well. He's also a disgruntled demon. Give us your thoughts this morning, but time now for the latest with Meredith Gibbs. Good on you, Gibbsy. Let's head to Ballarat and speak to Dave, who's been pa- waiting patiently. Dave, you're a Carlton fan. I, I am indeed, Kane. Um, there's a couple of, couple of points, if I can. I'm just wondering about David Teague as a coach. Um, don't want to sound negative, but he, he gets a bit boring like, like Bolton used to. But I hear him talking about wanting to play the Carlton way. And I'm trying to work out what the Carlton way is. And I've heard other people talk this morning about they kick the ball, they just bomb it long into the forward line. And I was using an analogy recently where it looks like um, a chip and a flock of seagulls. And you throw the chip in, the, kick the forward, kick the football down the forward line, or you chuck a chip into a mob of seagulls, and it's just every person for himself. There's no, there doesn't seem to be a plan of what who they're kicking the ball to. And I know it happened in the back line last night. I think it was just start of the third quarter where two defenders looked at each other and neither of them went for the ball and it just doesn't seem to be any consistency in what they're doing yeah no and it's a good point I think wasteful going inside 50 and long bombs which plays into the Giants hands like you got to know the opposition as well Haynes is one of the best intercept markers in the game so they they look too tall to me. I wonder what the plan is going forward with their forward line as well um, because you do have Levi there. I know he's not always a forward, but you've got McKay. You've got Kerno when he comes back. You've got Conning, who's a tall forward as well. So can they all survive on that list? I mean, you probably only need two key forwards. I mean, that's the successful model that most sides that have had success are going with when you look at the Eagles and Kennedy 
and Darling. You look at Richmond with Revolt and Lynch. You know anyone that's playing, uh, and even the Giants last night. I want to speak to Tim Taranto about this. Himmelberg, Finlayson, Cameron, and Riccardi in the same. Well, I mean, what on earth? How is that going to work? So. They do have some decisions about their list and which key forwards they are going to prioritise going forward because um, when you have tall targets, they attract the ball in the air and you just think, oh, bomb it in. They'll take care of the rest. But it was so predictable. It's a good point that you make. Jace is in Adelaide. G'day to you, Jace. G'day. Um, I'm going to struggle to articulate this because I'm still furious about Melbourne. Um, for... For the last two years, I've constantly blamed the players when we put up a pathetic effort. But I'm now swinging to blaming Goodwin. How a team can come out flat with a consolidation spot in the eight on the line has just got me completely stumped. Um, I think the days of the Melbourne Football Club having a coach who is buddy-buddy with the players and all about everyone being happy and whether you want tomato sauce or mustard on your sausage. <laughs> I think there's three coaches that I believe the Melbourne Football Club need, either one of these guys, and people will hate me for it. It's yep. either Ross Lyon, yep. it's either Brad Scott, or we throw the absolute kitchen sink and the whole kitchen at Alistair Clarkson because this group has the talent, but something's not right. Something stinks there. And I think... It's rotting from the head. So I'm sorry, Goodwin. I've, I've buddy put every bit of faith in you for three years now. Mate, I'm done. I've had enough. It's, He's it's got two B. years to go, Jace. He's got two years. I don't know what coaches get paid. It's probably you know, it's probably $1.4 million, I reckon, on a contract. Um, it's a significant financial payout to move on with the coach and then go and target one of those three. So it's a bit of, bit of a conundrum for the club. I can't see them making that move. I don't want to go halfway through next year. I don't think a coach is going to lose his position this year due to COVID. Mm. But I don't want to get halfway through next year and then all of a sudden we dump him. We need to dump him at the end of this year. Now, I've had enough. And there's a lot of us that have had enough, I think. Yeah, Dees fans, what do you reckon? 1.4 million, that's just my guess. That's clearly not an accurate figure, but it would be around the ballpark, I reckon, for a, for a coach. Are you happy to sign a cheque in this environment and part ways with Simon Goodwin? Let us know your thoughts. And those three that Jace mentioned, Brad Scott, Ross Lyon, Alistair Clarkson with the kitchen sink, are they the right men to coach the Demons going forward? Jono's in St Kilda, the Carlton Footy Club. Jono, your thoughts? Thanks for taking my call. I listened to you and Jared on uh, Mondays, and you're pretty critical about Carlton, and rightly so. But the main issue with Carlton is leadership. We have no leaders. It's all good and well to put the best play, which is Patrick Cripps, and put a C next to his name, you know, and expect and hope and hope plays following. But he's not a leader as such. He's no. He's got no nuts. Like he's got no mongrel. That's what Carlton needs. We need. And it even starts at the top with the president, all the way through the club. It's just, it's just all, it's all at sea. Like, as, as much as it hates me to say it, like Richmond, they were a basket case from the top down. They got that right, and look at look at where that look at where they are now. Mm. So, Cripps fascinates me, um, and I think you're harsh when when you say he's got no nuts because I think he's one of the most courageous players, and he, he does leave it all out there week in and week out. I'd love to know what he's like out on the ground. I mean, he, is there any 
direction. Is there any Luke Hodge, boys, come along for the ride with me. I'm going to make a statement here. Is there any of Joel Selwood about him where I'm just going to do everything I can to get us back into this game? So Giants kick two goals in the last quarter. You can see the momentum shifting. Does Cripps go and put himself smack bang under the Ruckman's hand and say, boys, I am not letting us lose this game like Joel Selwood does. And that's a big ask. Don't get me wrong. He's a young man and that's a big ask. But that's what Joel Selwood has done since he's about 20 years of age at the Geelong Footy Club. And if you want to be great and if you want to lead a big Carlton Footy Club, one of the biggest in the competition, that's what you need to do. And I don't see that yet from Patrick Cripps as much as we all admire him and we all love the way he goes about it. I think you're right. His leadership and his development, that's where he will become great and that's where he could be the Luke Hodge type and the Joel Seller type. But he won't get that with a 24% win-loss record, which is what he's got at the moment. His legacy won't be that. Um, So he needs to make some real improvements in that area of his game. It's a good point that you make. Um, That was Jono. So let's go to... I've got a lot of Jonos on my screen at the moment. No, that was was Jono. Now I've got Dave, and there's a Jono coming up next. Dave, it's your turn. G'day, mate. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, just with Carlton, mate... Um... If GWS kicks straight, the game's over quarter time. I don't know what games you're all watching, but Carlton's still got the same problem they've always had. After all these top draft picks they've had, Jones, Kurnow, Simpson, and they go recruit 35-year-old Eddie Baird. Well, Jones and Kurnow can't hit a target under pressure. They've got so many players there they shouldn't be there. Where's all their draft picks? What happened to all their good players? Where are they all? Well, that was my point with Jared on Monday, and, and the Carlton fans didn't want to hear it. And judging by the social media feedback you get, you know, I, I did question the, the development of the list and you know, Petrovsky, Seaton, and Dow, and Plowman, and these types of players. Fisher, who I love, Fisher, but you can't be playing a game of footy and touching the ball five times. You've got to be in his position, getting it 15, 17 times, and doing what you know you can do. So, where's the improvement there? So, besides weedering and Walsh, where's the development coming through from those elite draft picks that have now been in the system for four, five, six, seven years? That has been a criticism of mine. Uh, It's a reasonable point, Dave. Let's go to another Jono who's on the Sunshine Coast. How is it up there, Jono? It's beautiful, mate. Another beautiful day. Good on you. Just bringing up, Kane, uh, that fella from Melbourne that was pretty distraught about how things are going, just to answer him, I, I, I love coming over and watching the teams train up here. And the, the biggest distinction you can see between Collingwood and St Kilda and Melbourne is the, the Collingwood and St Kilda boys are fierce. They're, they're actually doing a job. But Melbourne boys, they get out of the bus and they've got stereos going, they're dancing and laughing and carrying on. And the goodie's just too good a mate with him. He hasn't got the distinction of, listen, I'm the coach, and if you don't do as I say, I'm going to drop you. He hasn't got that distinction. The boys know he won't drop them. He, they know they're friends with him. Like he, I think he's a decent enough coach, Kane, but I, I don't think he's made the distinction of, listen, I'm the boss. And there needs to be that. And uh, I've spoken about that at length on this program. The, the best coaches or the ones I've seen, the ones that have had success, have a hard edge. And that's why I love Chris Fagan going nuts at halftime the other week. I hadn't seen that from him. But I thought, gee, well, there's a bit of a hard edge. I don't want to mess with him. Saw Damien Hardwick, you know, doesn't do it often, but when he needs to, he does. You've seen Clarko do it. You've seen Ross Lyon do it. No, coach of mine, Mark Williams, has that. Ken Hinckley has that hard edge. 
I reckon Chris Scott has it as well. As much as he rarely shows it and he's really composed, um, you've got to have a hard edge. And I've, you know, I've thought about Matthew Nix. Is it, is it too matey-matey? Is Simon Goodwin too, too matey-matey? Does David Teague have that hard edge? I'm yet to see it. I still reckon the best coaches tell you and you know who's boss when the time is right. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Billy's on the line. Matt, James, it's busy. The text machine is going nuts as always. Get involved and join in the conversation. It's the captain's run through until 12 o'clock today. Yeah, Billy's on the line. We are talking to the disgruntled Demons and Carlton fans this morning and anyone else, mind you. If your team's flying, if you're a Geelong supporter or if you've got some thoughts on the grand final or anything that's caught your attention in the world of sport, please give us a call and share your thoughts as well. But let's head to Billy, who's been patient. Hello to you, my friend. G'day, uh, Chadley's brother. How are you going? Good, thanks. Mate, I'm pretty frustrated. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. The Ds, we've got no consistency, no passion, no intensity on a regular basis. But most importantly, they've got no heart for their long-suffering members and supporters. And the reason I say this, mate, is they know living up in the bloody beautiful Gold Coast area, enjoying the sun, we're all in lockdown. Now, I've got a, I've got a chalet just out of Mansfield with Jake Lever's salary that I can't even get to. The least they could do is have a crack each week. That's all I ask. Mm, mm. Fair enough too, Billy. Um, and that, that, is, that is fair. The inconsistency is the most troubling thing, I think, for any coach because at your best, you're great, but why can't they deliver that? You know, eight, nine times out of ten, which which they just cannot, and that is that is an issue for Simon Goodwin and his star-studded coaching panel, who who clearly believe that things were going to turn around. If you go back and watch the reruns of To Helen Back, which was released, what was it in the preseason? Um, comical now, really. Let's go to Matt, who wants to speak about Carlton. Hello to you, Matt. Yeah, g'day, Kane. Um, just on Carlton last night, I didn't see like any leadership whatsoever. I mean, I saw Betts pointing and Cripps pointing occasionally telling people what to do. I don't know whether that was helpful or whatever, but there was just no leadership. No one really stood up. Um, Weeders, who I think has a high AA chance, wasn't having an incredible incredible night. So I think that hurt us a bit. um, Did a a pretty good job on, on Cameron, I thought. Defensively, he did, yeah, really, really good job. The fact that we shot Cameron down was incredible. I wouldn't have thought that. And yeah, on um, Patrick Cripps, you can tell that he's tired. You can tell that he's sore. Yeah. Um, obviously, these quick games are just taking a toll on him. And um, something that's been frustrating me every time on um, Footy Classified and the Footy Show, you guys are all saying we need to push Patrick Cripps forward. He needs to make an impact forward. But from memory, he hasn't kicked a goal since round two. Like, he's missed mm. every single mm. set shot. So I'm just scratching my head going, obviously, you know, Lordo, you are a lot, you know, you're more, more, a lot more aware and know what to do on the footy field, that sort of thing. But I'm just scratching my head going, are you sure he should go forward? Like, Yeah, I, and I get I get that as well. I've, I've thought about that as well, but I just think he's going to have to. Like, he's, he's 193 centimetres or whatever. I've, I've seen him go forward and I've seen him kick three goals in games of footy from the midfield before, for whatever reason, he's bereft of any confidence in front of goal. You're right, he's kicked five goals, nine for the year and hasn't looked like being a threat, but he can mark the ball. And I just think the the best midfielders and those, and you would have had Cripps in that category at the start of the year, can go forward. And 
can learn to manage their bodies a little bit better than what Cripps is doing at the moment. He's a young man and he looks like he's 35 running out there at the moment uh, and he may be sore and all of that, but he's had strapping on that knee for the last three years. He looks banged up and I'm just not sure the management of their biggest asset has been in the best interest of Patrick Cripps, their skipper. Thanks, Matt. Janine's on the line. She wants to speak about a big restricted free agent, Jeremy Cameron. Hello to you. Hello there, Kane. Good to chat. Yeah, and just briefly, I'm just watching um, the game yesterday um, on the coaches, the camera going to the coaches' box, um, Simon Goodwin and Alan Richardson. There was no communication. They just sat there. I don't know whether they were in shock or something, but mm. you know, unlike John Longmire, who's constantly talking to his <laughs> assistant coaches. But yeah, yeah um, Jeremy Cameron, Kane, it doesn't look interested. I'd almost go to the point where he looks sad. He mm. just does not look happy. Um and there's a bit of the rumour mill going around on social media that he's already signed off, that he's going elsewhere next year. No, I don't know you know, if there's anything to come by that, but what are your thoughts on him? Well, well I'll speak to one of his teammates shortly, um, Tim Taranto. Now, um, there has been some talk that he's, he's really been struggling with the, the hub situation. He's, he's an outdoors kind of guy. I think someone said he loves his fishing and, and doing all of that, so... He struggled with that and the mental aspect of it. Um, but, yeah, he was ineffective again last night and has games where he can look like the best forward in the game but then disappears like he did last night, didn't hit the scoreboard as well. And uh, a restricted free agent this year is Jeremy Cameron. So clearly going to attract interest elsewhere. But what the Giants do with him, I'm not sure. But it's a good observation you make. Mark's on the line. Uh, are you a Carlton man, Mark? Yes, uh very passionate, mate. Um, 1995, mate, turned 21, come back from overseas, seen us win the flag, thought, what have we got ahead of us here <laughs> with that side and, and this and that? And since then, it's just been downhill. Now, at least we're not like Melbourne and haven't won a flag since 64 and probably will never win another one. But I'm concerned about our coaches and our assistant coaches. Now, David Teague, he looks like Mr. Peabody. He sits there. He doesn't show any expression on his face whatsoever. Does he have a second game, a game plan? Can't we drop a player behind the ball and we get four or five goals up and slow the play down? No, we can't. We do not hit targets in the back line. We have the two dumbest players I've ever seen on a AFL list who make consistent mistakes. Liam Jones and Williamson. How many times last night did they do silly things, yet then Jones comes over and does a couple of brilliant things? I just don't understand. He punches the ball over the boundary line, for God's sake. You know what I mean? Like, and then mm. stands there like a zombie and as if nothing's happened. There's a lot of elements, and I love your passion, there's a lot of elements that you think, yeah, I like that about their game. I mean, so competitive around the footy. I mean, their tackle pressure was great last night. I thought third quarter, the repeat entries that they had, uh, it was really going to break open. But then there's some elements of the game, like you're just explaining, that um, beg a belief, really. So, yeah, there's – if you know, you're baking a, uh, baking a cake, I reckon there is 90% of the ingredients there, but the 10% of the ingredients, you know what it's like, you put them in and it completely ruins the cake. So 90% is right, 10% should be fixable, but – at the moment, it hasn't been, and unfortunately, it's frustrating. We, we share similar thoughts, Mark. I won a flag at 21, and I thought, how good's this? We're going to go on to win three or four more, and this would be sensational. A little bit like you as a Carlton fan, and it, it didn't eventuate. So footy can be a cruel game. We'll get to Rudolph, Dom, Jay, and Tom on the other side of this. Rudolph has been waiting patiently. in Doncaster, you want to speak about North Melbourne? Welcome to the show. Yes, good day, boys. Uh, listening to your show... You don't get many North Melbourne supporters ring up, so I thought I'd ring you. 
Far away. You're talking about coaches. Yep. Well, look, our coach, I think he's pretty good, but I think he needs somebody, one of the older boys like Dennis Pagan, just to help him out a bit. What do you think about that? Okay. Dennis Pagan back at North Melbourne. Yeah, Reece Shaw's under pressure. Not sure Dennis would want to do it and whether he'd be up to it. But, yeah, I do think we get rid of coaches a little bit prematurely and there's some others when they get to a certain age seem to be cast aside. But I think they still have a lot to give. Appreciate your thoughts. We'll quickly sneak in Jay on the Blues. G'day to you, Jay. G'day, Kenny. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, just, look, if, if you look at the Carlton's year last year and what we got this year, I think everyone can admit that um, they're a lot better off than they were. Every start of the year, everyone was complaining that they were in, weren't in games. They were starting five zip, four zip, weren't in Jay, games. I might Looking just cut you off, so I get you to hang on until the other side of the news. Important information coming through in relation to coronavirus in the last 24 hours in Victoria with Meredith Gibbs. Uh, it's very good morning to you. If you are just tuning in to us, it's been a busy first hour dominated by your calls and your contribution. As always, those lines remain open for the remainder of the show. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. A lot of disgruntled Melbourne and Carlton fans, which we have spoken to and will continue to do so right throughout the morning. Big game on tonight as well, particularly for the Collingwood Footy Club taking on Brisbane as the Pies look to consolidate their spot in the eight before the reinforcements come back, hopefully before the end of the season. But we rudely had to cut off Jay before the very important news with Meredith Gibbs. He stuck around to make his point on Carlton. Jay, sorry about that. Continue on. That's okay. I was just saying that earlier in the year, um, the Blues gave up five, four gold leads to Richmond, Melbourne and St Kilda. And whenever they came back, the, the point was, well, the pressure was off. Where, was the, where were they when the whips were cracking? Since that point in time, they've been in, in nearly every game. Um, yes, they haven't won them, but they've been in every game. Compare that to Melbourne last night, who pretty much gave it up within the first two quarters. I know which side of the fence I'd rather sit on. Now, why the leads are given up, That's each game has its little intricacies. Last night, they just went shallow in the last quarter and conceded what they conceded. But I'd rather be in the games, with the experience of being in the games for longer, and those those losses will turn into Ws. And overall, I think you'll find that if they can knock off Sydney and Adelaide, which they expected to do, um, not a bad season with players to come back next year and another pre-season together. Um, I think this is a half-glass full kind of scenario. Good on you, mate. Appreciate the positivity. I did enjoy Bob Murphy's comments with Bob and Andy on the fact that uh, the time for development at the Blues is over, and he was coming from more a ruthless perspective that, look, the development phase has been there for a while now. It's time to put that into wins. So he disagrees a little bit with you, Jay, but you know, I can I can see the positives out of Carlton this year. They're certainly not getting blown away, and they remain competitive in every game, which which is definitely... A start, but last night it was the Giants winning by nine points. He wheels and goes for the Giants. It's not his greatest kick inside 50. It got through off the oil and an awkward bounce, though, and Taranto bounces it through. He kicks his second, and the Giants string a couple together. And he joins us right now, one of the brightest stars in the AFL and doing some very good things on the Giants side is our next guest, Tim Taranto. He joins us. Tim, thanks for your company. No worries, Andy. How you going? Well, that was hard work. (laughs) 
Yeah, that was a tough game last night. Um, definitely wasn't pretty at all, but just absolutely relate to get the full point. Yeah, so take us through the ebbs and flows. I said this morning, um, you seemed so structured earlier on in the game, but when you realise, oh, hang on, hang on a minute, we're going to have to win this, you played on some real instinct and got the game back on your terms. Was was it the case of, we've got to get going here, boys, we've got to actually take some risks, or, or take us through the mindset of the group? Yeah, well, we thought we, you know, we started poor, but we had our chances, and we just couldn't capitalise on it, and we were second to the ball a lot, and gave away a lot of silly free kicks, so we felt like we are in the game, we just, we couldn't finish it off, um, and as you said, we kind of realised, you know, late in the third and into the fourth, that, shit, we better get going here, so, yeah, we, we just probably just kind of went for it a bit more, and it, and it paid off. It was 2-11 at half-time. Um, now, the, the modern footballer gets a little bit of criticism or clubs do about the lack of goal-kicking practice. Take us through how much time the forwards and, I guess, the mids spend on goal-kicking from week to week. Um, yeah, we get, we get a bit of time each week at training, um, no doubt. But I think with this season and, and the shorter breaks, a lot of the week is recovery. So you do get a lot, lot, a lot less time out in the, in the field and... I guess the games, they don't break open quite as much, so it's probably not as pretty um, and not as um, good to watch at times, which is probably a little bit disappointing. But, you know, that's just the season we're in at the moment and we just got to try and make better use of our chances. Went really tall in the forward line last night. So Finlayson, Cameron, um, we know Riccardi, who I want to speak about a little bit, and also Himmelberg. Um, the thought process behind that, you think? Yeah, we just thought we could challenge them in the air with our tools and, you know, because... Uh, Himmelberg and uh, Finlayson are quite agile and quick on the ground. We thought we could um, try and um, expose them with that. So uh, I think Himmelberg ended up going down back in the second half um, or maybe in the last quarter, I'm not sure. But, yeah, I thought it was an OK um, tactic. Probably didn't work out as well as we would have liked. But, you know, I think that they've got the capabilities to do that if we want to do that in the future. So that man, Riccardi, has got, got ice in his veins. He doesn't appear yet to have a weakness in his game in game number three. Uh, how did he fly under the radar of a lot of clubs? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, mean, I didn't really know much about him when we picked him up. Um, but kind of once he stepped into the club, we knew that he was a, a good talent and he'd, he'd been playing some pretty good twos football. Um, and then, yeah, he just grabbed his opportunity and, and, and started his year or his career really well. So we're just we're wrapped with how he's going and hopefully we can continue that. What sort of character is he off the field? Oh, he's just a real good, good fella. Um, yeah, nothing really bad to say about the bloke. He's really nice, really good fella. Oh, he's an absolute ripper. Hey, the Giants are now eighth. Um, it's been an inconsistent year. I think I think that's fair. How, how's the coach holding up? The, the the contract was finally announced this week. He looked frustrated in the box last night. Did he did he lose his temper at all with the players at any stage? Um, yeah, oh, there's no doubt we've been um, frustrating to watch and to, to be coached by this year at times. And yeah, he was pretty. Frustrated, definitely um, throughout the game, but he was pretty composed at um, um, at the breaks and at three quarter time. He just he gave us a stern warning, or stern, stern words, but nothing too crazy. And um, yeah, I'm just glad we got the win for him because um, you know we, we haven't been super consistent this year, and I bet it's pretty frustrating at times. Tim Taranto is one of the young guns in the competition. He joins us on the back of the Giants beating Carlton by nine points last night in the come-from-behind performance. So five-day break, you come to Adelaide to play the Crows on Tuesday. Uh, what does the week look like when it's so taxing and demanding on the players? Yeah, well, as I said, it'll be a lot of recovery. Um, today's just a bit more recovery. Um, we'll have a really light session on probably Sunday. Um, 
and then a captain's run Monday, and then we'll fly fly to Adelaide on Tuesday morning, and um, game, and then we'll fly back Tuesday night. So a lot of recovery stuff, and um, kind of just trying to switch off mentally as well. I think it's pretty important um, in this season. Mm, so you're just watching on the coverage, which you wouldn't have been aware of, the criticism coming through about. Um, with your squad and how talented it is, you've just got to let it fly and let the players play on instinct. Do you think that's fair or um, how much is dominated by structure as opposed to just letting the talent play on instinct? Yeah, I think that's a, a question that a lot of teams have got to kind of figure out what's the best way to go about it. Um, I think you definitely need structure and it's important, especially in today's game. Um, but there's definitely times when, when you can just kind of try and take advantage of um, of the situation and just use your instincts and play. Um, but yeah, I think that's just something we're going to um, just kind of try and figure out um, over the next couple of weeks, and I'm sure a lot of clubs are probably in that same boat. Hey, I, I know the club gets frustrated by this, but just this morning I've read reports that three of your teammates have been linked to other clubs already. So Perryman's off the port, uh, Haitley's off to the Crows, Finlayson and Cameron are always spoken about as well. Do, do the players have a laugh about that at all? Oh, yeah, it's not really brought up too much, but I think, you know, it's, it's, we've been used to it. It's happened to us the last few years. So, um, yeah, we kind of don't really look into it too much. We've been pretty good at retaining players. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess no one's really talked about it too much. We're just kind of trying to play some good footy and get to the finals, which is number one on our radar. But, yeah, whatever happens will happen. But we're pretty confident with, with our history. Are you looking forward to the season finishing to, to get your, a bit of your life back and, and catching up with family if that's possible? Will it be a relief to get through it or, or how is the mindset? Yeah, it's a strange one this year. Uh, for me, with my family being back in Melbourne, I don't, I don't even know if at the end of the season um, I'll get to see them. So um, I definitely do miss the family and, and the friends and you know, normal lifestyle, but at the same time, I'm pretty grateful that we still get to play footy and we're up in Queensland now enjoying beautiful weather and hanging out together. So, you know, it's, um, it's a pretty lucky position we're in to keep working do you think, and playing footy. Do you think some of the boys will stay on longer, particularly those from Victoria like yourself in Queensland post-season? Yeah, definitely. I think we've talked um, a few boys about, you know, just staying around here or going up to Byron or something like that. Um, you know, there's a little bit of talk about that, so I think there'll be a fair few boys, especially the ones who are from Melbourne, kind of just yeah, will continue the holiday on in the season. And how's your body before we let you go? What sort of shape are you in? Yeah, good. You know, just general soreness as usual, but you know, I'm fine. It'll be good to go this week against the Crows. Well, you're one of the most important players, mate. Appreciate your time. Congratulations on the win last night, and good luck against the Crows on Tuesday. Thanks for going to choose, mate. Tim Taranto is a ripper, and a lot of teams would love to get him as well. But it it is interesting. Um, I do wonder how the club feels about you know just recently Perryman. I think there's a report from Tom Morris that I read this morning. Uh, Port Adelaide are really keen on getting him out of contract. Uh, Jackson Hately is a South Australian, so clearly there's some links from the Crows, and he's said to be their number one target. Finlayson is spoken about. You know, is Riccardi's improvement? Does that mean he's surplus to their needs and? Jeremy Cameron has been linked to other clubs from pretty much the day that he arrived at the Giants. one 736 736 The list of the free agents is through as well, restricted, unrestricted. I want to get onto the Hawthorne Footy Club and revisit the claims, not the claims, the comments from Alistair Clarkson that he made after the Crows' loss on Tuesday. Uh, either restricted or unrestricted free agents at the Hawks. Isaac Smith... Ben Stratton, James Frawley, Ricky Henderson, Paul Piopolo, Sean Bergen, of course, 
Darren Minchington and Keegan Brooksby. Hawks fans, be the list manager this morning. Clarko doesn't like the draft. He doesn't rate it. He thinks it's the most compromised draft ever, so you can't solely rely on that. What would you do? Which players have currency? And how would you rebuild that list? Our guest this morning was Tim Taranto from the Giants. We've got a big, big show coming up. NBA action on at the moment. Boston looking to go 3-0 up against Toronto, the former champs, 53-60 to with eight minutes to go in the third quarter. And US Open news, Johnny Millman is out of the US Open despite leading two sets to one against uh, TFO. He lost the last two sets, and he is out. Uh, Alex Demonor still in the running. We'll speak to Brett Phillips, our tennis expert, a little bit later on this morning. one 736 736 Jump on the line and have your say. US Open is in full swing games happening as we speak. Earlier on, John Millman was defeated by TFO, so he's out as well. But Alex Demonor won through to the third round. To tell us all about it is the host of First Serve and our very own tennis expert, Brett Phillips. BP, thanks for your time. Thank you, Kane. No problems. Oh, Johnny Millman looked to have his opportunities. Yeah, he really had his opportunities. Uh, it's been a big night. Yeah, Demon All followed by Millman and Chris O'Connell live at the moment. But, yeah, look, um, I think when he took that third set and he took it convincingly, 6-1, uh, you just thought, well, this is going to be fairly straightforward, even though we know that John's played a lot of five-set matches. But... TFO just didn't have the signs at the end of the third set that he would really go the distance. So he ended up, you know, he started to play like Millman did, just really rock solid. And he's got enormous, um, uh, enormous potential, Francis TFO. He's one of these many young Americans. There's Taylor Fritz, there's Riley Opelka, there's Tommy Paul. There's a whole batch of them who are, you know, trying to emulate Andy Roddick, the last American to win at the US Open, which was back in 2003. And he stepped up his firepower and Johnny just um, couldn't quite go with him in the end. He's much younger, and he probably had the slightly fresher legs. It was a pretty muggy day in New York during the daytime. There's a bit of rain coming through New York now on the outside courts, which has stopped play. But, yeah, unfortunately, didn't quite get there. In fact, if we if you go back to that first set, he should have won that first set, Millman, and that would have really propelled him. But he just kept the door open, kept the door open, losing the fourth. And uh, TFO, he's a pretty strong young guy, uh, you know, big ground strokes, and he was just able to sort of outmuscle uh, Millman in the end, which um, not many can do. Another Aussie in action, which you just alluded to, Christian O'Connell. Now he's down two sets and a break against Medvedev, the number three seed. But it's a fascinating story, BP. Can you fill us in and tell us about it? Yeah, look, it is a great story. We um, spoke a lot about Chris O'Connell on uh, the first serve last year because, you know, you go back a few years ago, and he's about 25, 26 now, so everyone's uh, story and journey is uh, so different, Kane. And, you know, he was uh, a guy battling around the challenges. I think he got to as high as 220. Then he disappeared off the scene for a little while. He had some injuries. He got a bit disillusioned with the sport. He was helping his brother clean boats in Sydney, where he's from, and uh, everyone knew that he had a lot of talent. Uh, he decided to jump back on the tour, but the ITF at the start of last year actually uh, changed all the rankings, so they were only ranking the top 750. He'd fell well out of that and officially didn't have a ranking. But last year, he just started to win, and we got to about sort of March, and we thought, gee, Chris O'Connell's on a nice little streak here. He's uh, basing himself in Europe to cut down the travel. He's playing Futures. 
Uh, he was making final upon final. And then when the rankings were restored, uh, around about sort of uh, July, August last year, he'd uh, crept up to the top 300 because he had just been winged. In, in all, he won 82 matches last year. He played like 110 singles matches, which is phenomenal, wow. playing, playing on the challenges later in the year and picked up a few titles. And he played first round at the Australian Open, was pretty competitive, and he won his first um, you know, uh, main draw Grand Slam match, first ATP match. Uh, here at the US Open. So today he's up against Daniel Medvedev. I mean, he's the third seed, last year's finalist. And people would ask, what's the difference? Well, to play a guy like Medvedev, your level has to stay at its peak for a lot longer. I mean, the, the, you know, to beat guys on the Challenger Tour and the Futures, you can. Mm. He's, he's very good, O'Connell, but he doesn't have to maintain his level as high. This guy, Medvedev, is at another level. So it's a great experience for him, but he will pocket about 136,000 Australian mm-hmm. and prior to the US Open he only made 270,000 across his whole career, so uh, for that to you know, maybe put into some coaching uh, it will set up his travel and really allow him to play fully on the tour, so now he, he, he's got a beautiful single-handed backhand, but yeah, great story to restore his career last year Absolutely, and well told. How did see Grigor Dimitrov is out now? He was upset. What, what what are the other upsets that we need to be across? Yeah, well, Dimitrov, particularly having made the semis uh, last year, he's um, he's an enigma. Uh, Grigor, he's uh, unbelievably talented, but uh, he played against a really tough Hungarian today, Martin Fucevic, who is uh, is super fit, uh, loves a battle. And he absolutely dug into uh, beat him in five. It was uh, a great effort by Fuchovic. And, you know, there's not much in it <laughs> in tennis. Uh, it's small margins. It's uh, one loose shot. It can be a brilliant shot at the other end. So, yeah, that was a big upset. And, and Milos Raonic, who had made the final in Cincinnati last week uh, before going down to Djokovic, he actually struck some good form. Uh, big Milos, he was beaten by his fellow Canadian, Arshik Pospisil, who has been as high as 25 in the world. He's the, uh, he's the man that, along with Novak Djokovic, is forming this sort of breakaway players association from the ATP. And he was on our show earlier this year. He's pretty outspoken, Vashik, but he can certainly play. He's had a lot of success in doubles as well. So there are a couple of the major upsets earlier today. And, and we should just quickly mention the Demon on the men's side. Uh, he was very good, uh, Demon All, earlier today. He played two very good sets, got out of the blocks well. Then he had to really dig deep against Richard Gasco, the Frenchman, who's been the highest world number seven. I mean, he's classy, this guy. He has one of the most beautiful backhands I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, Dimonor had to pull out all stops, but that's what we love about Alex Dimonor. He is the ultimate competitor with a very good skill set. So he's through to play Karen Hutchinov now, the world number 11. That'll be, uh, that'll be a big test. Mm. Serena on court at the moment. She leads one set and three two in the second set. Can, can I ask you about um, Kim Clasters? I know she she was back. Uh, did she get through? I don't think she did. No, she lost to uh, Alexandrova. I was flicking around as you do the first couple of days. Yeah. So many matches going on, but I managed to catch the last set of that match because uh, I hadn't seen Kim sort of uh, live. Well, she only played a couple of matches before the whole tennis tour got hold of Kane and. No, she um, look. She can still play, uh, no doubt. I mean, she's still got the uh, the strokes and she's still got the core craft. 
Uh, but she is 37 years of age, and uh, these young girls are hungry. Uh, they cover the ground pretty well. I mean, physically, um, you know, these, these girls and the guys are so equipped more now than any other era in tennis. So, yeah, probably uh, she just ran out of petrol tickets in the end. I think she's contemplating what she sort of does from here, whether it's, you know, full steam into this comeback or is it going to be sort of here and there. I mean, she's going to get wild cards into some of the bigger events, but... Yeah, I, I, certainly the hiatus of COVID, I don't, I don't think helped her because she'd actually got herself to a really good level physically. And then, you know, no tennis, she goes back to being a mum of mm. three kids and uh, still training. But yeah, they're pretty tough. But uh, it's, look, she, she's still, you know, still super competitive. And nine on his, Aussies have entered the, the French Open, including Ash Barty. So did that surprise you? Ash didn't want to go to the US, but she's can't, or she's comfortable to go to France. Yeah, no, I got the inkling a couple of weeks ago. I was having a chat to her management, and uh, obviously it was a big decision. And look, you know, you always want to go back and defend your title, even though um, the rankings won't uh, be uh, be affected because they put the rankings on hold for players to make those decisions on a, on a personal basis. But yeah, look, she's obviously uh, got you know uh, some really good advice from um, you know obviously people over there in terms of the conditions, what it's going to be like. Uh, I, I think every player loves to go back and defend their title, and uh, it was a magic moment for her last year. So, no, I'm probably I'm not totally surprised, uh, even though that she probably does have, have a bit of a conservative view in terms of health and her team. Uh, Craig Tizer, her coach, has actually been holed up in Melbourne here, so I, I, they haven't been able to connect for quite some time with Ash in Brisbane and Craig down here. We know what a great combination they've become. So, yeah, the prep uh, will be, won't really be there. Whether she's going to enter. A lead up. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, but yeah, I mean, the, the French uh, women's draw is certainly going to look uh, a lot stronger than what it has uh, at the US Open. Good news, BP. Thanks very much for the update. Pleasure, Kane. Talk soon. Tune into the first serve as always, as well for all the latest on the tennis. Mike's in Geelong. He wants to shift gears and speak about the Hawthorne Footy Club. G'day to you, Mike. Oh, g'day, Kane. How are you going? Good, thanks. That's good. Hey, I just wanted to see what you think about with. You know the Hawks are probably going to get a top three, I reckon, draft pick. Whether they look at splitting that up and trying to get into sort of the 10 to 15 mark and trying to get two in there. Yeah, I, I was thinking about worth. that today. I was thinking just about what Adelaide do with, with pick one, but it's essentially going to be pick two because they won't get the best player. And without knowing the quality of what's going to be there, and if so if there's three standout players in the draft and then it's really even after that, do you just have to take one of the three standouts? Or if it's really even through the first 10 to 15 and there's no definitive line on where it's split, then you probably look to do that. So uh, Graham Wright would, would have the answers to that. Mike, I'd be speculating because I just haven't seen enough of the young kids playing at the moment. Tom's on the road, the Carlton Footy Club. Tom, your thoughts? Yeah, great, Shane. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't know what people expected from Carlton this year, but look, I'm a young avid and uh, Carlton's victory for the last 25 years. And, um, you know, look, at the start of the year, I, if someone said six to eight wins, I, I think most Carlton supporters could take that. Like the guy said before um, in the news break, um, you know, we've been there. It's where I've walked every game. Yeah, look, definitely we should be able to ice the game. We should have been able to ice the game last night. But um, but we're um, we're competitive, and I don't think we're too far off. I mean, we can't... Don't forget where we came from. We had the gardener who was always talking about green shoots who never, that never appeared. And we came out of a, a, out of um, five years of drudgery with Big Malthouse. So you know, from where we've come from, 
Um, I, I definitely see a lot of upside. And um, now if you ask me, and I won't tell what your opinion is, who's close to a premiership, us or Essendon? And I, 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 I dare say it's us. I, if you look at our spine, you look at our big boys, we've got to go get some midfielders, mate. We've got to go get some big, big bodies in the midfield to have our crips. But the, the spine is good. Uh, your thoughts? Yep. No, no, well, I'll put that question out there as well. Who's... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Closer to a premiership, I, I can smell a uh, Twitter poll as well. Uh, who is closer to a flag out of the two big Victorian clubs, or two of, Carlton or the Bombers? We'll get back to that. We'll also talk some NBA and some US sports on the other side of the news headlines with Meredith Gibbs. Yes, it is 22 minutes to 11 o'clock if you're on SENSA in Adelaide at 7 minutes past 10. Plenty happening in the American sport landscape. Um, Toronto currently trailing by one to Boston just on three-quarter time. Billy Reinhart is from SB Nation, and he joins us to give us the latest. Billy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Can we start with Steve Nash? I was uh, driving to work this morning and I heard it come across the radio. I thought, well, that, that's that, that's a bit of a shock. Was it a shock to you? Yeah, for sure. I don't think anyone saw Steve Nash coming. I mean, we knew about the connection that Steve Nash had to Mets general manager Sean Marks, a New Zealander, I might add. Um, they played together in Phoenix uh, over a decade ago. And then Steve Nash is very close to Kevin Durant. So we knew those connections, but from everything we had heard, it wasn't sure that Steve Nash wanted to get into coaching, especially the head coaching variety at this point in his career. So that was surprising. We heard some rumored names like Tyron Lue, even Greg Popovich was a little bit of a pipe dream that Nets fans had. Um, but, yeah, not, not, not too much you heard about Steve Nash, if at all. So it was definitely a surprising hire. So those who are just catching up, Steve Nash, uh, two-time MVP of the NBA, has been announced as the Brooklyn Nets head coach on a four-year contract. Does it point to the power that players have, particularly the big players in the game, you know, LeBron James and Kevin Durant, you spoke of, Kawhi Leonard, of, of that that they wield over their organizations? Yeah, for sure. I mean, superstar players, especially in this era, the era of player empowerment, they, they have so much power within organizations. Um, for the Nets in this, in this scenario, I actually think a lot of it has to do with Sean Marks and General Magic. His connection with Steve Nash, as I mentioned, the two played together in Phoenix over a decade ago. Marks actually said today that it was Nash who reached out to him initially about having interest in the Nets job. The two keep in touch. Their families are friends. And Marks knew that Nash eventually wanted to get into coaching, but he wasn't so sure of when. So he had it in the back of his mind that it was actually Nash who came to him about interest in the job. Obviously, his relationship with KD and, and Kyrie Irving as well played a factor. So um, obviously, KD and Kyrie had to sign off on this. You don't make a move of this magnitude without consulting your stars. Um, so that definitely played a big part. Um, but for sure, a star player nowadays, they, they have so much power within organizations. Mm. Well, take us through the bubble. Yesterday's games were fascinating. Like the, the the refs had a say in that Miami game, the foul to Jimmy Butler late, which which won it for the Heat. And then in the second game, game seven between the Rockets, and it was a bit of a grudge match, wasn't it, between OKC and Chris Paul, who used to be at the Rockets. But 
Have you ever seen an uglier finish to two games of playoff basketball? <laughs> I mean, both games overall were very entertaining. I will yeah. agree with you that the end of that, the end of that Heat game, um, Heat Bucks it was a little tough to watch. I think they had three questionable calls in the final minute. Um, obviously, the two foul calls and jump shots, one from Goran Dragic on Chris Middleton, the other one Giannis fouling Jimmy Butler at the end of the game. So um, you never want to see games end decided by the officiating. I do think the Butler call was the right one. I'm not sure the Dragic foul they called before that was a good call, but a lot of times this league refs will give make-up calls. They realize they make a mistake on one end, they'll give it to you on the other end. I do think the Butler call was the right call, though. And Miami's looking good. You'd love to see that there. And then with Oklahoma City and Houston, I mean, that was another fun game. Going back and forth, the storylines, obviously, Russell Westbrook, former member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Then you have James Harden and Chris Paul facing off in a game seven. So that was a lot of fun right there. James Harden, obviously, he had a very poor offensive game. He even admitted that post-game. Mm. Uh, but when the time was right, he stepped up their defense. We got that big block. And that was just huge for the Rockets, huge for his legacy to continue moving on to the playoffs. Billy Reinhardt is from SB Nation for the latest on the NBA, including Steve Nash, somewhat surprisingly announced as head coach of the Brooklyn Nets to team up with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. So uh, Boston are taking on the reigning champs. That's the Raptors right now. The Raptors trail 2-0. It's about even in the third term. How far can Boston go, presuming that they do get through in this best-of-seven series? Yeah, Boston's the one team I thought that could beat them in the Eastern Conference was Milwaukee. But if Milwaukee might get knocked out by Miami, they're down to zero in the series right now. I think they, they have a pretty clear path to at least the NBA Finals. I'm not sure they're going to be able to knock off either of the Los Angeles teams, the Clippers or the Lakers. I just think the experience of LeBron and Kawhi leading those two teams will be a little tough for a team that's led by such a young player like Jason Tatum. It's good as he is. Um, but in terms of the Eastern Conference, if they don't have to run into Milwaukee, I think they can beat all the other teams. You're seeing it right now. They're, they're pretty handedly controlling the series with the Raptors. The Raptors, I believe, right now are battling back a little bit, maybe taking a slight lead. But um, they're doing a good job right there. I think what you're seeing with the Raptors is a little bit similar to what you're seeing with the Bucks. Both teams are kind of lacking a real primary scoring option towards the end of games and, and throughout games in the Raptors' case. Um, the Bucks, obviously, Giannis hasn't proved he's that close or capable player yet. Uh, and they can use some guard help and just a creator in the half court when the game gets down and tight towards the end of the game. And then with the Raptors, you've seen Pascal Siakam. He doesn't look ready to take that role as the number one scoring option. Kawhi Leonard no longer there. So uh, both teams are flawed. The Celtics are deep, led by Tatum, Jalen Brown. Kemba Walker's having a big night tonight. So um, they had a lot of guys to could throw at you. They play defense. So I really like Boston's chances coming out of the East. Mm. And, of course, the Rockets are going to take on the Lakers. Uh, Lakers with a lot of height, including Anthony Davis. How will they even try to go about combating that with their small lineup? Yeah, I actually think Houston could give the Lakers a lot of difficulty because right. they obviously have Gene Hart and Russell Westbrook in the backcourt. The Lakers just don't have the guards to really match up with that. They could throw Danny Green, who's getting up there in age, continue to call well, Pope Alex through. So, like, they have a few guys. They don't really have the guards that can match up with the explosiveness of Harden and Westbrook. So, I expect those two to be able to get relatively whatever they want. They're going to end up playing Javelin D and Dwight Howard off the floor because they're not going to be able to match up with the smaller players of Houston. So they're going to force Anthony Davis to play center, which he typically doesn't like. And then they're going to get the Rockets playing towards their style because Anthony Davis, he's so skilled, but he's typically more of a finesse big. He likes to shoot jumpers, operate more on the perimeter. 
the Rockets will take it. If he wants to go down to the post and, and try and post up on a Robert Covington or Peter Tucker the entire night, I, mean, I think they'll take that, that trade off there while they're shooting threes on the other end. Because um, when you look at the Lakers, they're going to be they're going to be matching up rather in size. LeBron and PJ Tucker. I mean, they they're fine with that matchup. The, the Rockets. So I think they can surprise people. They're an uncomfortable matchup just because of their unique style. And if the Harden and Westbrook get their legs back out of them after a long series, uh, I expect them to give the Lakers a challenge, maybe six or seven games at least. And Billy, you are an NFL fan and, and all on track for the resumption. What is it? Must be next week. Yeah, starting up the first week of September, so that'll be fun too. Get get a sports kind of back to normal here in the United States. Good on you, mate. Appreciate the update this morning. Thank you. Thanks for having Billy me. Billy Reinhardt from SB Nation. Start of the last quarter for that game that he speaks of, Boston leading uh, by four points, 80 to 76. Peter is on the line. He wants to get back to the footy and speak about the Giants. What's your thoughts, Pete? And welcome to the captain's run. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, thanks very much. Um, yeah, look, the Giants, the speculation about the players this year, I don't believe there's any different in the speculation that happens. seems to have happened every year with the Giants. You know, they're always talking about there's too many midfielders and there's too many forwards and there's too many that, and players want to go back to their home state. So it's just the standard crackle that goes on about the Giants and their players. So I don't believe that if it happens, it happens. They seem to recover every year. And if it happens, it happens, it happens, you know? Yeah, they do. It's always it's always going to be a talking point, isn't it? Particularly when they've got so many of their star players signed up on big contracts and there's only so much money to go around. So their model of, of paying their best you know, four or five big money and then getting a lot of role players in and young players from the draft who are on base wage um, hasn't quite yet delivered them a flag, but it's held up pretty well. But even looking, I wonder how they feel about you know players like Jack Steele, and they think, oh, gee, we could use with Jack Steele, who we had on our list to sign a new contract extension with the Saints, and I reckon he's now a top ten midfielder in the game. So, um, you know, there's been another, you know, a lot of other players as well, Adam Trelaw and Shield and these types that they had that that are now gone. So, I just wonder how they think about that and and how they will combat that moving forward because they still, as you said, Pete, have a lot of talent. On their list, one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number if you want to get involved in that. Um, Alistair Clarkson made some interesting comments about the draft, and Damien Barrett has gone whack this morning on AFL.com.au and his regular sliding doors column that says if it's now well known that Clarko likes strumming a guitar, then it seems he wants offers to get the violins out for him. In 2020, he's not. If in 2020, he's not talking about the umpires, it's opposition players. This week, it was the draft system, which he and his club greatly, personally, benefited from when he first started coaching in 2004. Poor Clarko. Whilst I've been critical of Clarko this year for his comments, particularly in relation to holding the ball and and more so the AFL for bowing to the pressure of changing the rule, and and that was ridiculous. I do have some. Um, I do agree with his comments after the loss against the Crows on Tuesday. That, when asked about what he does with the list and how he goes about rebuilding, he says, "Well, how would we know? We don't even know what the salary cap is. We don't know what list sizes are, and we're into the fourth day of September. I mean, what is going on?" And and I said during the week about, "Well, what role does the AFL players have in this in in hurrying up the process, considering there would be." 
a lot of their 800 players would be really uncertain about their future in the game and their contract and their longevity in the game. Why doesn't the AFL players get the AFL to fast forward these discussions? Gill says it's still a couple of weeks away. I don't think that is good enough. I think the AFL need to make that announcement sooner rather than later. I mean, the grand final is important and getting everyone up to the hub's important, but it's not as important as letting players know if they're going to have a job next year. I wouldn't have thought, and particularly from the AFL players' point of view, um, good old Tom Brown had a crack at me for those comments on Twitter, but I think uh, he missed the mark as well. Tony's on the line. The D's. Tone, you watched them yesterday. What would you think? Uh, I'd rather not think. Well, I'd rather <laughs> not talk anyway. But I went to a number of the training sessions um, in the lead-up to their last game and then during the finals. And their training sessions were brilliant to watch. We were thinking about, my son and I, who also is a D supporter, we were thinking about going over to Perth. So what I did with my wife, we went and had a look at their training sessions prior to the Perth match, as we did the previous weeks. And I said to my son when I came home, I said, no, we're not going. I don't think they can win. I saw their training session and it looked as though that they'd already won a match. Right. Happy with themselves, you think, Tone? I, and I saw that last night again. Um, I'd like you to find out this stat for ourselves. Vandenberg hasn't been playing all that well, didn't play last um, last night. But when he does, we mostly win, I believe. Okay, now, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll chase that up for you, Tone. Con wants to have his say on the Ds as well, and particularly one of their stalwarts. Nathan Jones, Con, what's your thoughts? Welcome. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey Chad. Uh, sorry, um, Graham. Kane. Okay. <laughs> How are you, mate? Um, yeah, just wanted to uh, talk about Nathan Jones. Um, he looks cooked to me. Uh, he, he looks like he's getting around like a sort of local-grade twos player at the moment. But what, what are your thoughts um, on uh, maybe big pre-season, give him another couple of years, look, look to build around him? And uh, if Melbourne really want to ruin their club, um, get Tex Walker in and look yeah. to build the forward line around him. And, uh yeah. Let's really see if we can sink this shit out footy club. <laughs> All right, oh, strong thoughts. Um, be interesting to see whether he gets to 200, just looking at, uh, sorry, 300, I should say. He's on 294, I think, Nathan. I'd love to see him get to 300. He deserves it. But um, you're right, he, he does look, uh, he looked like he was banged up and, and almost coming to an end halfway through last year. Uh we have plenty more to get through in the next hour or so, and we welcome your comments, um, even though they can call me Graham. And then Chad, uh, surprised he didn't call me my grandpa's name or my kid's name. Good on you, Con. Appreciate the comedy. Uh, we'll get back to more of the show after this. A uh, very good morning to you. Big last hour coming up. In a moment, we're going to speak to Mark Z- Zundans, who is the general manager of the Gabba, on the back of them being announced the winners of the AFL Grand Final this week. But just breaking at the moment, as we mentioned prior to the 11 o'clock news, the Courier-Mail is reporting that two Richmond players, Callum Coleman-Jones and Sydney Stack, were caught up in a fight outside of a Gold Coast strip club. So we are chasing down the latest details on that at the moment. But Mark is ready to go. He joins us, the general manager of the Gabba. Thanks for your time, mate, and congratulations. Thank you very much, Kane. Very exciting news for us. Well, was it... Was it ever in doubt? It seemed as though it was the worst-kept secret. Um, was that the way you thought, or was there some nervous times that uh, either WA or South Australia may swoop? 
Oh, definitely nervous. Uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those situations that it's not real until it's real. Uh, you know, I think that we put a really strong case forward as the Queensland government, and uh, you know, we we couldn't have done any more. Let's put it that way. But uh, yeah, we were definitely chewing the fingernails to the to the very end. So, uh, but yeah, elated with the outcome. How involved were you with the process? Yeah, very much involved. So uh, there was a, a bid team that was put together. We've clearly had a, a lot of history with the AFL, um, not just this year, but in the past. But this year in particular, uh, with all the non-Lions fixtures that have been played here at the Gabba, we've developed strong relationships and, and have a really good understanding as to uh, sort of what floats the boat in this COVID situation. So, um, you know, we, we had a lot of input within the bid. Uh, I think the bid was really strong and, and thankfully we came away with the chocolates. What, what was the, the biggest attraction, do you think, other than clearly the role that the Queensland government and you know, AFL and Queensland have had in saving the season, but what were the other carrots that you think was the, the final sticking point that got you over the line? Look, I think that the season saving was a big part of it. Uh, between ourselves and Metricon Stadium, uh, yeah, hosting in excess of 70 games was a massive feat for our respective venues, but Outside of that, uh, I suppose it's that legacy piece and, and entering into the uh, AFL, well, growing AFL in what is predominantly an NRL market uh, was uh, no doubt an attraction. And uh, you know, from our perspective, uh, presenting a venue that uh, can provide that boutique experience in a, in a fairly unusual time. And your experience is, is vast across event management. Uh, you've you know dealt with Olympic Park and also Perth, Perth Motorplex. How was that experience translated into this pitch? Uh, from that perspective, you know, uh, let's say from a major event perspective, I understand what the uh, AFL Grand Final means to Melbourne, uh, having sort of been in, in the accompanying uh, or the neighbouring uh, venue in Melbourne Olympic Parks for a period of time as well. Uh, you know, taking some of that major event experience, understanding the importance of the AFL Grand Final in the uh, in the context of AFL and also for Melbourne, uh, and translating that into a Queensland uh, environment was a, a pretty special uh, opportunity for us as well. Mark Zundens is the general manager of the Gabba, of course, awarded the AFL Grand Final, which will be at night, Mark. I actually interviewed Simon Black on the radio yesterday. He's played a lot of footy, clearly, at the Gabba. He says into October, the dew is a real issue at the Gabba. Is anything being prepared for in case that is the case? Oh, look, I, I think that if we had the hotline to uh, to the big guy upstairs, then... Uh... Yeah, clearly we'd uh, we'd be in a great space, but uh, ultimately the conditions are going to be the same for all teams. Uh, I think that uh, anything that adds a little bit of flavour to the game is going to be a positive. But when it comes down to it, uh, yeah, we know that the ground's going to be in great shape. Uh, it's just going to be a uniquely Queensland experience. Is it substantially more dewy though in October than it is during the usual footy season? I think that there is a possibility that that's going to be the case, but at the same time, it really is going to come down to the prevailing weather around that time. And the cap, the capacity for the GAB is 42,000. I think currently we're speaking 30,000. Is there the possibility that it could be at capacity? Uh, look, I think that that's a question for Department of Health. Uh, we've got a really good relationship with them and they were part of the bid uh, process as well. Uh, there are some uh, sort of uh, easing of restrictions or, or rather 
um, some uh, allowances that are being made for us to get 30,000 into the venue. It's very much going to be dependent upon what the COVID situation is at that time. And being that it's eight weeks away, it's probably a little bit tough to uh, to predict. But um, you know, from our perspective, we want to do everything that we can to deliver a safe, uh, safe event for everyone that attends and make sure that it's something to remember. And Mark, how crucial has this season been in growing the game um, in that part of Australia? Oh, look, I, I think that it's been a fantastic opportunity. Uh, you know, someone who uh, is a Port Adelaide fan would traditionally only get to see their team play here once. And uh, this has been a, a great opportunity for them to see them multiple times a year. So, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for the game to grow. It's an opportunity for uh, clubs that are outside of Brisbane to, uh, I suppose, get their away membership uh, a little bit stronger. And again, the uh, visiting teams have had a chance to uh, play in front of their uh, their crowds and their crowds to get behind them. Well, Mark, congratulations, mate. Once again, it's been fully supported by, by nearly everyone. It's going to be a night grand final. It's going to be a spectacular event. J- just before we let you go, any hints on, on who you'd like to see as the, the pre-game and halftime entertainment? Oh, I think so long as it's not me with a microphone, then everyone's pretty safe. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, I'm confident that it'll be a, a real uh, celebration for not just Queensland, but all of Australia. And uh, something to, uh, I suppose, put a smile on people's face through what's been a really challenging few months. Good on you, mate. Make the most of a landmark event. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Kane. Cheers. Mark Zundens is the general manager of the Gabba and has been since late last year. Um, what, a, what an introduction into his time in the role. Uh, the big story of the morning uh, will continue to chase down some details regarding two Richmond players, Callum Coleman-Jones and Sydney Stack, being caught up in a fight outside of a Gold Coast strip club. Uh, I don't think there's any details about whether they were in attendance at the strip club or what they were doing there, but um, clearly the issues at Richmond will not go away despite their good form on the field. It's been an absolute disastrous time off it, and how major or how minor some of the indiscretions are from the captain seeming to be at loggerheads with the CEO at times and threatening to leave the hub to some other coronavirus breaches in relation to um, Trent Cotchin's wife, Brooke, attending a day spa, to the fallout from that with Mitch Cleary and to some other things that have gone on, the groping scandal, of course, that caught the club up in that. It's been a a really um, uncharacteristic Richmond-like season. Tigers fans, what should the punishment be and should these two players be sent home? Uh, On face value, um, without getting too ahead of yourself, you would think that Sydney Stack and... Callum Coleman-Jones may be on their way out of the hub and and what the sanction will be for the club considering the likes of Nathan Buckley and Port Adelaide with Laddams and Houston were fined significant amounts of money. What will the punishment be for these Richmond players? We'll have to wait and see and wait for a statement from the AFL which I'm sure will be provided at some stage throughout the morning. If it's not with me, it'll be with Dwayne Russell who will take over the microphone with Dwayne's World after that. one 736 736 Don't forget the AFL Record Digital Edition is out now. That's available at sen.com.au and also on the SEN app. Just uh, whilst we're on Melbourne, remember back to Stephen May's comments after the Port Adelaide game where they absolutely smashed and he was clearly visibly angry about the performance. Let's revisit his comments. We'll get those comments shortly. I'm being told that the button bar has been frozen. Here it is, Stephen May after the Port Adelaide loss. No, certainly not. I think it's just 
clearly not good enough. Tonight was just extremely disappointing, especially after a good fight back last week. The boys were raring to go, and I just think we just didn't turn up, and it's not good enough at the end of the day. Us as players are... You know, pretty. I'm pretty pissed. I'm pretty pissed off still. It's not good enough. And in a season that's so short, and we're only going to get to play every team once. You know, we we need to win games, and if not, compete. And we have shown that all year. And then tonight, it's just yeah, not good enough. Those comments pretty well received from the Melbourne fans, I would have thought. And Glenn Bartlett made uh, even stronger comments publicly after that. This is Max Gorn, the captain. His comments. The contrast in this last night. Maxie, no real positives to come from tonight. Does it feel like a real step back for the group? Uh, I wouldn't say there's no real positives. I'm sure we'll find something out of that night. Um, but I'm pretty flat. Uh, we came up here uh, to do a job and um, we got jumped in that first quarter and it took a long time to try and peg it back and we played some really good footy in the third and fourth quarter but we weren't able to connect with our forwards and um, same old story a little bit there in the last quarter not been able to score. So um, there is a, a fair few positives, a fair few negatives. We'll tally it all up. Um, Fair few positives, fair few negatives. We'll play some great footy in the third and fourth quarter. These fans, which comments would you rather? I think it would be the former, and that was that of Stephen May. Greg's in Torquay. You want to speak about the Bulldogs? G'day to you, Greg. Yeah, good uh, Good morning. Uh, could you tell me if Trengrove could play centre-half back with the Bulldogs instead of Gardner? Yeah, he could, and I reckon even further to that, uh, and when do they play the Bulldogs? I'll just have a look at I'm a bit lost with this footy frenzy and when their next scheduled game is. I'd be surprised if they don't use Trengove as a backup Ruckman. So they've got the bye in this round. Of course, round 16 gets underway tomorrow with Port Adelaide. The Bulldogs' next game is against the Eagles. I'll be surprised if they let Tim English and Dunkley go one out against Nat Nui. So I reckon Trengove will come in and play that backup ruck role, which he did pretty well at Port Adelaide when they had a few issues in the ruck. So surprise, Greg, he hasn't played more often in his time at the Dogs. Get involved in the show. Big 45 minutes coming up. The latest news out of Richmond and the AFL that there is a couple of players. Sydney Stack, according to the Courier-Mail, who are reporting this, and Callum Coleman-Jones involved in an altercation where police were called outside a strip club on the Gold Coast. If it wasn't 2020... You wouldn't believe it. It's smack bang on 15 minutes past 11. Right, on the craziest finish to a sporting event I think I've seen in a long time. So Toronto were down by two against Boston with 0.5 of a second on the clock. Not five seconds, 0.5 of a second. They took a timeout. They advanced the ball to the front court and they've passed the ball over to the other side of it where OG Ananobi grabbed it and shot a three. The ball has literally left his finger with point one on the clock, and he's nailed a three. Toronto win by one. It was unbelievable. Uh, I'm in shock. That series is now 2-1 Boston's way, and the, f- the reigning champs are still alive. Oh, boy. Uh, a lot of text coming through on this Richmond scandal as well. It appears two players have breached coronavirus restrictions and all sorts of restrictions to be fair. Callum Coleman-Jones and Sydney Stack, according to the Courier-Mail, were involved in an altercation outside of a strip club on the Gold Coast. Of course, players are required to live in a bubble. Um, what restrictions they've broken, to what length, to how much the AFL are involved, we'll wait and see, but we are chasing up the details of uh, the authors of this article and the, and the journalists who are at the centre of this from the Courier-Mail. More details coming to hand, but for those that missed the finish to this game, have a listen to this. 
on the line. Adonomi got it off. It goes. Did it count? Is the question. Yes, it counted with point one of a second on the shot clock. Time now to get to the AFL Games record holder. Boomer Harvey joins us ahead of his side's game against Port Adelaide tomorrow. The only Saturday game, would you believe? Boomer, thanks for joining us. No problem, boys. Anytime. What is going on at your Kangaroos this year? <laughs> a little bit like the state of Victoria, isn't it? They're in a bit of... Uh, they're all over the shop at the minute. Oh, look, we've got... And I never like making excuses, but we have got a, a lot of injuries. And if you take the best two or three players out of any team in the competition, I think that makes a huge difference. And, and Ben Cunnington um, he's probably if not our most important player, our second most important player. And then Ben Brown, uh, who hasn't had a, an amazing season by any stretch of imagination, and he would admit that as well. But um, he's still a very important player for us. And, you know, we've had a few other little injuries. We've got a couple of young guys, though. There is some light at the end of the tunnel. We've got some, some young guys coming through in Bailey Scott, Curtis Taylor. Uh, Jai Simpkins had a terrific year. So there is a little bit of light there for the Kanga supporters. But... Um, it's been a little bit disappointing. Uh, I won't lie to you. Sitting back and, and watching, I'm not up there in the hub with the boys. I'm, I'm down here, so I'm just watching it as a punter like everybody else. And uh, it has been a little bit disappointing. But uh, that's football sometimes, isn't it, Kane? Hey, Boomer, it is. Last time we spoke to you, we, we spoke about your coaching development, and, and you said you had the fire in the belly to take it further. Yeah. How has that changed this year? With I guess the whole industry being thrown in jeopardy. Yeah, it's really weird. And at the start of this year, we lost some um, some, some senior coaches in Brendan Whitecross and Jared Rivers, who were line coaches, uh, backline back coach and forward line coach. Uh, and it just threw the finance part of it and, and everything else, and you could only have 25 coaches on board. It really threw everything out. So it's been a bizarre year. I don't think, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think we'll ever live through anything again like this. So I know next year um, the soft cap will, will be drastically um, removed or, or lowered down to a, you know, maybe $2.5 million less than what it is now. And um, it's just going to be hard for coaches to have a full-time position. I wasn't full-time at the coach uh, as a coach, so I was only part-time. And I don't know where that leaves me, actually, to be quite honest with you. I'll have to wait for the, the group to get back to the hub, the club to go through all their, their structure for next year and see if I actually got a job. But I still love, I, I still speak to the boys. I'm not currently working in the club because I'm not in the hub, but I still ring the boys and speak to the boys as much as I can just because I still want them to go well and, you know, put a fair bit of time into them over the pre-season and you always want to see the boys go well. What about the fly-on effect as well, Boomer? I mean, your history with local footy as well have been, has been significant and, and that's clearly been thrown into chaos as well. What impact has that had yeah. with some of your teammates that you've played at at local level and I guess the mental health of, of some of those players who used it as an outlet? Yeah, you don't you don't realise the that snowballing effect came that you just mentioned and local footy for even for me still now, um, you know, I love watching my kids play sport and taking them and doing everything, but still for me to get away on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night just to go training and see forty odd blokes or thirty blokes, whoever maybe sometimes twelve, whoever whoever turns up at local footy. But um, you know, I love just getting away and doing that as well. So if that's if that's good for me, it's gotta be good for a lot of other people and you know, you've got to remember these guys work you know, six o'clock to four o'clock every day, and coming to the football clubs are a big part of you know what they what they do and who they are. So it's been a tough old year. We're, we still do a lot of Zoom sessions where we just 
chatting with the boys, some of the boys are having a beer on a Friday night over the Zoom session, just so we can still mingle and see each other a little bit. Um, you know, even though it's virtually, mm. it's, still, it's still better than nothing. So, so back on to North Melbourne, how have you seen the handling of Jared Pollock? Because I can't understand why he's not in the team whilst his form hasn't been great. He has, I don't think he's been a disaster. Can you give us any insight into why he still finds himself out of the side? Yeah, look, Kane, um, I'm not in the hubs. And I literally, I don't speak to Brady or I don't speak to Reese once a week or anything like that. I try to keep my distance because it's you know it's so hard me trying to give advice from Melbourne when I'm not in that hub. So I actually don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, and I sort of, I think Jared's last game was, was fairly decent. It was against Carlton. Um, he had 20, I think he might have even topped the possession. Um possession for, for, for North Melbourne that day so there must be something else that mustn't be with ball in hand, it must be something else that's, that's going on uh, whether they want to look at young kids coming through um, you look at someone like, like Jared, uh, you know by all reports he's on 650, 750 mm. grand, something like that it's a, it's a waste of uh, money mm. sitting him in the, it's not even twos anymore is it, because it's, they're in a hub playing once every three weeks or something so I'm not exactly sure and I can't shed too much light on it to be completely honest with you. Ben Brown's the other one who, you know, whilst, as you alluded to, his form hasn't been great this year, there's not too many 60-goal-a-season forwards running around, but it may be the right time for him to look elsewhere. Do you think it could be a situation where it's a win-win for club and player to get Ben into a new environment and and North get a good pick for him? Yeah, I think you've got to be a little bit careful just around... um, trading players out, potentially, you know, your best player in the mm. in the team because in the last three years, I think Ben's been probably, I'll take out this year, um, he's been nearly the best forward. He's kicked consistently 60 goals every year. Um, and and I, I'm a true believer here where I think the forwards are a byproduct of what happens up the ground. Now, clearly North Melbourne haven't been the best team this year and their inside 50 stuff is not excellent as well. So Ben... Yes, Ben has had a lean year, but he also has to rely on that midfield and the half-forwards getting the football a little bit more or a little bit better to him. So I think you've got to be a little bit careful. I, I, I still think we've got a good young list that we can build around, and, and someone like Ben, they don't, go, they don't grow on trees. Um, and it's just which avenue the club want to take. If they want to trade a good player out to get something good, and you know Ben Brown's name always gets thrown up. I know Sean Higgins' name's been thrown up. Jared Polak's name's been thrown up now. All these guys, if you want a good player in or a good draft pick in, you're going to have to give something up. So it's just, I'm not on this committee. Um, you know, we've got a couple of really good guys doing that and I, I, I don't know which way that they want to go, whether they think our list is good enough to, to keep Ben and, and keep going with, with that structure. Now, you're a man... Sorry, Boomer, you cut you off. You're a man who played a lot of years. I'm not sure how many of your last eight or nine years were on one-year deals, but there's 23 players out of contract at North, and there's some talk that there's only four untouchables, according to a report that I read on on SEN this morning. Uh, Cunnington and Zeebel and Higgins, I think Goldstein might be other. It would be an anxious time for players that they're on the edge. Yeah, it would be, absolutely. And I think I, I might have seen something on Twitter or Instagram or something this morning, Kane, where you were talking about a four- or five-year deal that they shouldn't... Is that right? That yeah, they should I be just think that... Well, I just think that clubs yep. are too um, quick to give long-term deals, and some of them are paying the price for that now. You look at Hanbury and even Polek, and you know there's a lot of other clubs. GWS are handing out seven to ten-year deals. Collingwood with Grundy, seven years. I just think it does lull the players into a false sense of security with that financial security that you get with long-term deals. Kane, okay, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I can't see the benefit of signing for five years. Um, I think the player 
and the club need to back themselves. Um, because if you're on high money, the club loses loses out if you're not having a great great year. If you're on unders and you have a really good year, well, you're going to benefit the, the following year anyway because you're out of contract and you're going to be able to negotiate a better a better deal. So I'm totally with you. I think I think max for a player should be three years. I don't see why you should go any further and risk anything else. So um, totally agree. And I think coming back to your to your other question around the the players on. Uh, 20, or four untouchables and there was 17 mm. out of contract or something. Mm. Yeah, and that's probably what I was alluding to before. A lot of players are just playing for their future and unfortunately it's a, it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing but uh, I totally agree. I think the one-year deal makes you play on edge and it makes you try to think, um, you know, this could be my last year so you give absolutely everything and I've, I've played for 21 years came and, and you played for a long, long time as well. You can see some complacency creep into some young guys. If you're 22, 23, come off a decent year and you sign a four-year deal, there's no coincidence that those first two years, they seem to just plateau out a little bit and then they come good again in their third and fourth year, last year of contract, and they get another good deal. But uh, I totally agree. I don't see why the the deal should be super long, but um, it does make you play on edge when you're you're on a one- or two-year contract. Boomer Sean Burgoyne sitting on 387 games. We'd love to see him get to 400 and join that elusive club, but we're just sort of waiting to see what Hawthorne will do and situation like that. But can I ask you, the 400 club, what do you get? You actually get something? You guys catch up? <laughs> well, you, you don't do nothing, uh, to be completely honest. And I'm, I'm a little bit um, bullish. I actually want to do something here. And I, I often I often joke because if you're in an AFL Life membership, I think that's 300 um, games, you get a free ticket, or you get two free tickets to any game of the year, plus the grand final, and you get some really good benefits. But if you're in the 400 club, yeah. nothing changes. Level up. So I feel like ringing, yeah, I feel like ringing Gil and just say, you know what, maybe it's a lifeline um, car park at the MCG or something like that, because every time you go there, Eddie Ant Stadium, they, they, they snip you 30 bucks to go and, go and uh, park at Eddie Ant Stadium. So uh, I think or what's it, Marvel, Marvel Stadium now, I should say. Um, so maybe it's a, it's a lifelong car park, MCG and, and uh, Marvel Stadium as well. But I do need to put a phone call in and there and, and see if we can do something different. Yeah, get KB on board, get Dustin Fletcher on board, no doubt. Yeah. Tucky, Tucky will get, get him involved as well. Absolutely, there should be perks. Hey, Boomer, <laughs> always appreciate your time, mate. Uh, look after yourself in lockdown, um, and we appreciate your time this morning, as always. Nah, no worries, boys. Sorry I couldn't shed too much light. Uh, obviously not in the hub and uh, in great old Melbourne at the minute, uh, Victoria, I should say. So it's uh, it's riveting down here. I'm mm. glad you guys are enjoying life back as normal back in uh, back at home. Yeah, well, it's a big story, isn't it? You just heard from Meredith Gibbs there, the two players, Sydney Stat, Callum Coleman-Jones. Now, just reading on the rules, if found guilty, Richmond could be fined up to $100,000 and both players clearly would face suspensions. It would be the Tigers' second breach since the AFL introduced the strict return-to-play protocols in July. The $25,000 suspended fine handed down after Brooke Cochins uh, attended a day spa would need to be paid, plus a further 75000 for a second breach. So maybe the first time uh, in the history of AFL, a suspended fine may be upheld. We will await uh, more information as it comes to hand, but... Clearly a big story, another off-field indiscretion tabled towards the Richmond Footy Club. Time now to get the latest action with Neds. Take your betting to the Neds level. Gamble responsibly. 1-800-858-858 as we welcome in Jared Tim- Timsey. Thanks for joining us again. Morning, Kane. How are you, mate? 
reasonably quiet couple of days coming up. Just the one game today and, and the one game tomorrow. We'll start with that one, Brisbane and Collingwood. How's it look? Yeah, boy, I'm really looking forward to this one, Kane. Should be an absolute ripper up here at the Gabba. The Lions, pretty firm, $1.48 favourites. Maybe a little bit of a danger game for them, though. So some value around the pies, perhaps at $2.80. As always, we're offering $2 lines on every game this weekend. They've been set at 12.5 points for tonight's flush. Not a lot of love for North Melbourne. The only game tomorrow is them taking on Port Adelaide. Enormous mismatch, this one. That certainly has been echoed in the market as well, Kane. It's right your own ticket for North now at $8.30. Port into very firm $1.08 favouritism. I think the value for the Port fans definitely lies with our $2 lines this week. They've been set at 32.5 points. Essendon weighing up what to do with Joe Danaher. Three games in 11 days. We know that Andy McGrath is out. Geelong are flying and they would be red hot as well. Another terrific opportunity for the Cats to jump back into the top two. Their betting suggests that's exactly what is going to happen. Kane, $1.33 plays the $3.20. Dons, 20.5 points is the magic number set by the bookies for our $2 lines. Jared Timms from Ned. Speak to you next week. Thanks, Kane. Good luck, punters. Whatever you like to bet on, take it to the Ned's level. Gamble responsibly, 1-8... Sorry, 1-800-858-858. Speaking of telephone numbers, give us a call if you want to play the quiz, Chad's Brothers Quiz, or call me whatever you like. It's a big one coming your way. Big prizes to give away. It's one that everyone wants to win. And breaking news, developing that the big man from Geelong, who is the most successful um, contestant on this quiz, having won it numerous times, his identity may have been revealed on the back of some investigative work from a couple of you out there um, during the week who have sent me various messages on the big man. We know we love his Sammy Menegola song, but there's talk that there's an even better and more popular song and jingle that he sings. So, big man, give us a call. You've been unmasked. Get to it. Last person standing for the quiz next. And still waiting for the most successful um, applicant in the quiz, this guy... Johnny, oh, we didn't get it. We're going to play his song, the Menegola song, or should we call the big man from Geelong, Luke? Anyway, let's get to Leroy, because he wants to have a crack. G'day to you, Leroy. G'day, Conde. It is a US Open theme quiz today. Who did Rafa Nadal defeat in last year's men's US Open final? Oh, um, Novak? No, he did didn't. So let's go to Nathan. G'day to you, Nath. Son of Graham, how are we? I'm good, thank you, Nath. Uh, Rafa Nadal got beaten by, sorry, Rafa Nadal defeated who in last year's US Open final? I'm going to go with Federer. It's not Federer. Um, Kyle is on the line. G'day, Kyle. G'day, Kane. Um, Rafa Nadal won the US Open final last year. Who did he beat? Ah, uh, oh, that oh, Demonor. No, nah, it wasn't. It wasn't Alex Demonor. Not sure he's made a Grand Slam final yet. Hopefully, in the future, he played today. I'll give you a hint. He played today, and he defeated an Aussie in his second round game. This person, and he may be the number three seed in this year's tournament. So, Brett, there's a couple of clues for you. 
It's the only Russian name I think I can pronounce, Medvedev. <laughs> it is Medvedev. He beat our own Chris O'Connell this morning in straight sets, six three six two six four, to progress through to the third round. Who shocked the tennis world by winning the Women's US Open in 2009 as an unseeded player? And we know her pretty well. Casey Delacroix. Wasn't Casey Delacqua? Not sure she is a, a, a Grand Slam champion either. But uh, good on you to you, Brett, for getting us through the first question. Daniel's in Hillside. Good day to you, Dan. How you going? Tough quiz today. Really tough. Who shocked the tennis world by winning the Women's US Open in two thousand and nine? She was unseated. We know her well for different it's reasons. Not Serena. It's not Serena. Apologies to you, Daniel. So let's go to Sam. Good day, Sam. How you going, Kano? I'll give you a clue. She's got a connection to an Australian great tennis player. This lady has a connection to an Australian. She goes by the nickname of Aussie Kim, Kim Clark. She goes by the nickname of Aussie Kim. She won the 2009 US Open. Question number three, who did Alex Demonor defeat earlier this morning? We spoke to Brett Phillips about this moments ago. Who was his opponent in the second round? Who did he win against uh, today? Yep. Demon or oh, I missed earlier when you were talking to him. You got another clue? Mm, no, I don't have another clue for you because Johnny was really savage on the buzzer and I was feeling generous. Uh, let's go to Richmond. A lot of people lining up. Get involved in Chad's Brothers Quiz. Daniel is in Richmond. G'day, Dan. Okay, how are you going? The Demon's through to the third round. Who did he take care of today? Uh, Richard Gasquet. He did take care of Richard Gasquet. Good player. Been around for a while, Richard. Uh, question number four. Who is the second-seeded men's player for this year's tournament? A lot of the big guns not there. So who is the second seed behind Novak Djokovic? Uh, no, no, Andy Murray. It's a good guess, but it's not Andy Murray. Um, so let's get to Jack in Blackburn. Jack in Blackburn, who is the second seed for this year's US Open on the men's side? Okay, no. Um, is it Dominic Tim? Oh, of course it is. Well done to you. Now, for the win, Jack in Blackburn, what year did Leighton Hewitt win the US Open? Oh. Famous year, this one. 2001? Yep. It was 2001. Congratulations to you, my friend, of course. I think, I think it was the following day, I think I'm right in saying, is that the World Trade Center has happened as well in New York. So, yeah, a crazy time in the world. But Leighton Hewitt, what a star, two-time Grand Slam winning champion and one of my absolute favorites. So, Jack, you've won 18 holes of golf for two plus a complimentary drink thanks to Club Mandalay, a must-play course in Melbourne's north. Um, when lockdown is over, you will um, appreciate that. Good on you to everyone who has got involved in the quiz this morning. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Can open up the lines in the last 15 or so minutes if you want to jump on and have your say. There are lines available right now. You can get to it. I, I guess um, there'd be some confusion. I guess some anger, maybe, if that's the right word, from Richmond fans. Things going pretty beautifully on the field, but off the field, what is going on at the Tigers? So the latest report, if you're just joining us, is that two Richmond players have been caught up in a fight outside a Gold Coast strip club 
What a crazy year. The Courier-Mail has been told two players, Sydney Stack and Callum Coleman-Jones, were involved in an altercation last night after being evicted from Hollywood Showgirls on the Glitter Strips Orchid Avenue. Don't know much details about this. I don't know if they were inside the strip club, um, but clearly it's not great when they should be in a hub, in a really strict hub. Um, getting in a fight outside a strip club is as bad as serious as it can get considering all the allegations that have um, been levelled at Richmond this year and the previous breaches from other players as well. So we'll wait for a response from the club and also from the AFL. Now, if that comes to hand in the next 10 minutes or so, we'll bring it to you. Otherwise, stick around for Dwayne Russell, who will also try and get to the bottom of these stories. We've got a, a number of calls in for the uh, authors of this report or the journos that broke the story, Thomas Chamberlain and Kate Karayako, um, if I pronounced her name correctly. They are the two that are reporting this on the Courier-Mail. We've put a call in to, to try and get them on the line, waiting to hear back. If not, Dwayne Russell will have the latest details on that. But Tigers fans, over to you, one three hundred seven three six seven. 36 is the number. And just um, going back a little bit, I-, I wanted to play Alistair Clarkson's comments on the draft because a lot of us and a lot of people think, well, Hawthorne, just go to the draft, just rebuild. And I- I've been a bit guilty of saying that as well and a bit critical of Hawthorne in previous years for trading all their good picks out for the experience that they've got in. Alistair Clarkson was asked about that on the back of losing to the Crows and their first win of the season on Tuesday night. Should they go to the draft? There's not a pure draft anymore. Um, the draft is just so compromised that, um, you know, with, uh, with father-sons and academies and in a national competition that it's meant to have a quality, um, there's just so many compromises. You know, Sydney and GWS share the whole of New South Wales in terms of any talent that comes through that state and Brisbane and Gold Coast do it to the north. So when there's that sort of compromise in what's meant to be an equal national competition... Um, it makes it very, very difficult to, um, to you know, find the find the talent necessary to give yourself a really good chance. You know, and so that's why when people say, "Oh, why don't you just rebuild and um, you know, just go to the go to the draft," you can't go to the draft. It's so compromised. Can't go to the draft now, but that doesn't excuse a club for not going to the draft in the last five, six seasons. Uh, I think two first-round draft picks, Will Gay and Ryan Burton, since since 2015. So you know, whilst he's right and from everything you read and you hear, it, it is compromised, but that doesn't excuse the position that they are in right now with a lack of young talent coming through because they've neglected the draft for the last five and six years and getting O'Meara and, and all of these players, Mitchell and Wingard. I mean, they could easily have Dersma. Uh, what would you rather, Burton and Dersma? or Wingard at the Hawks. So whilst his comments might be accurate right now, what's the excuse for not going to the draft in previous years when they should have? Uh, Just an update. Um, Sam Edmund will update everyone on the Richmond situation out of the 12 o'clock news with Dwayne, but we'll quickly get in to Cameron, who wants to have his say on it. Cameron, your thoughts on Richmond? Uh, I think they should deduct 10 competition points, which would keep them uh, in the eight. But at the bottom, and that would send a very, very strong message because obviously finding them hasn't worked. Mm. Craig's in Point Cook. Your thoughts, Craig? Yeah, good okay. No, I think um, ever since this COVID, they've put Neil, B- Neil Baum on the outside. And ever since he's been on the outside, I think the shit's been starting to hit the fan. So mm. I think he needs to get back in, Neil Baum, and straighten them up. 
get them in to straighten them up. The CEO is on the Gold Coast as well, Brendan Gale. So we'll wait and see once again. If there's a statement from the club, that'll come to you right here on your home of sport across everything breaking with Sam Edmund, also out of 12 o'clock. Uh, Jason wants to speak about those comments from Alistair Clarkson and Hawthorne's recruiting. Jace. Hey, mate. How are you? Um, Good. I think there's an obvious player that Hawthorne should target. That's Alex Witherden. He's been dropped twice this year. We've got North's second pick next year, which will be around the 2022 20, mark. And he's an absolute gun. I don't understand why he's getting dropped. And he's pretty much, we need a lot, but he's one of the things that we need. Go and get Alex Witherden, um, says Jace Michaels in Heathmont. Your comment, your thoughts on Alistair Clarkson? Yeah, I just, um, just on the comments that Alistair made, and thanks for taking my call, um, but I thought a few years ago that the presidents of the AFL, all the presidents of the AFL, um, were successful in stopping the Giants having a zone near the Murray River in the southern half of, the very southern 200 kilometres southern tip of, of New South Wales, and that zone has now been... That, the Giants don't have that zone anymore, and it's up... All the players that come from those clubs in that area are, are in the national draft. So I think it's gotten a little bit better in the last couple of years than what Clarko's alluding to. And just another point about Hawthorne. I mean, in, in 2004 to, through to 2008, all their first-round picks ended up being superstar players. They did. Rioli, Luke Hodge, I mean, they, they, have, they have done it before. Um, yep. My question to Clarko is, why can't you do it again? Good on you, Michael. I agree with that. Now, Pete Ryan from The Age is reporting this. Queensland Police just released a statement regarding the Tigers pair. They arrested two men aged 20 and 21 following a disturbance in Surface Paradise about 3.30am. Both men sustained facial injuries as a result of the incident. Further investigations are continuing into the matter. But then Tom Brown, good old Tom, is saying, I don't believe there are police charges at this stage. So conflicting views. Sam Edmund with the latest out of 12 o'clock. Yeah, Dwayne Russell up next with the latest from this developing story out of Richmond. Two players have been charged by sorry, arrested by police. No word on charges yet, but the Richmond Football Club have released this statement. Richmond has become aware of a breach of AFL COVID-19 protocol by two of its players in the early hours of Friday morning. The club immediately reported the breach of protocols to the AFL and is working with the league to investigate the matter. The players have been based inside the club's player hub on the Gold Coast, having already undertaken a 14-day quarantine in July. They are not part of the current quarantine hub where AFL officials and players and family members are undertaking the required 14-day quarantine period. The club is not in a position to comment further until the investigation is complete. Just repeating that Sam Edmund will have the latest out of the 12 o'clock news with Dwayne Russell. And that is just about enough for us. Just about out of time. Once again, the three hours has flown by. Enjoy the weekend. Have a great Father's Day to all the dads out there who I know a lot of you are doing it really tough. Hope you get some time to at least reflect on what your dads mean to you and and what being a dad also means to you. Um, Dwayne Russell up next and... For now, I'll see you at 9 o'clock next Friday. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.